Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fat Man Beyond. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Mark Bernardi. Hey! As Banff Man told you before the show got started, kids at home, uh, we are doing this uh, live streaming for the first time uh, from Smodcastle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. This is the movie theater that I uh, grew up going to when I was a kid and whatnot. I've told the story before to people who were here live, but uh, the home audience probably doesn't know this. This is the theater where I saw the Friday the 13th that had the heavyset kid in it. And it was packed like this. Opening Friday night, it was a Friday, and fourth Friday the 13th, place was fucking packed with peers and teenagers. And Ed Hapstacks, mod bless him, um, my friend, at one point when uh, the heavyset dude was eating chocolate and shit, dead silence in the audience, he goes, there's Kev Smith. Um, so this theater traumatized me at a young age. Tonight we're about to erase all of that. And partly uh, the, the reason that's going to be erased is because I get to sit here with the great Mark Bernard and give it up for Mark. Hey, everybody. Um, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm ecstatic. Yeah. I'm electric. I'm thrilled. I'm not sleepy at all. Let's fucking do a podcast, man. Uh, first off, for those in the room and for those at home, happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Mm. I tried to wear a green jacket, but the green jacket I got from, was from before I lost a bunch of weight, and so it, I look like David Byrne in the, in the <laughs> jacket. So instead, I'm going with the untraditional blue. Um, we have just concluded uh, the Ides of Mark, which is a mini film festival that we had here. Uh, starting it, uh, on the 15th, the Ides of March. Uh, it ran from Wednesday, Thursday, and then it ended tonight. On, on Wednesday, we watched Dune, David Lynch's Dune. The best on Dune. The, yes, the, the masterful Dune. Uh, then, uh, yes, last night we watched Streets of Fire with about 20 people. And, and it was amazing, because like, a lot of those cats hadn't even seen it. Who was here? Put your hands together last night. Some cats had never seen it before, man, so it was kind of a revelation. Uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, we watched uh, Flash Gordon, and we had a lot more people here for that. Um, the festival went incredibly well. Uh, we're going to do it again next year. Uh, it, it stemmed from a joke that was told, like, on this show, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. at one point, I was like, I got a movie theater. You should do something there. And he was like, let's do the Ides of Mark. And I was like, that's hysterical. And it literally turned into a fucking thing. So be careful what you say out loud around me. I'll be like, that's marketable. And apparently last night when we were doing uh, Streets of Fire, I, I pitched you another one kind of on the fly. Uh, Keep Calm and Curry On, three Tim Curry movies. Because <laughs> we were talking about Legend. Yes. We're like, let's just do a bunch of Tim Curry movies. So the, and so I was like, oh, we could do Legend because we were talking about Legend. And then Mark was like, we could do Clue. Yes. And then Mark was desperate to avoid the Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> but I don't know how you do Keep Calm and Curry On without doing it, so we might have to do that. But I, I always feel weird trying to do, which one? Times Square? Three Musketeers. That's Ooh. right. He's in that as well. What Home is it? Alone <laughs> Home Alone 2. <laughs> Could you imagine? Ugh. Um, whatever the third, the wild card spot will be, perhaps yeah. we'll leave it open to the public you to said, vote. You said well, Legend's the first one. What? Hey, this is not an interactive fucking show. <laughs> I said, well, vote online, people. 
Uh, but yes, yeah, so we'll do keep calm and carry on, man. Maybe we'll do like you know because we can't wait all the way until the next March because that would no. be the odds of March. So maybe March, April, May, June, July, August, so September. Maybe September. We'll keep calm and carry on, so that you, every six months I'm coming out. Yeah, sweet, um, nice. <laughs> Um, we've got so much uh, show for you uh, tonight. Lots of things that we didn't cover in the last, in the home show that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you want to kick off? Um, well, we've both seen some stuff. Yes. Right? Today, I saw Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Oh, shit. Did you? I did. Did you see it for free here? No. <laughs> <laughs> Smart Castle Cinemas, where even Mark Bernardin won't come. <laughs> For free. Uh, no, because you were playing a little too late in the day. Yeah. So I needed, I needed a matinee. So I went at uh, 1240 over in Hazlitt. Um, Me oh, and three. The fucking people. Cinemark? Yeah. <laughs> if you had a matinee, I'd have come here. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, to be, uh, we talked about it with the, uh, the audience before we ran the show. But for the folks watching at home, this is also a first-run movie theater. So, like, real-ass movies are playing here, not just, like, 80s movies like we've been doing all week. So the Adam Driver shoots dinosaurs movie is here. Uh, Creed 19 is here. Um, And Shazam opened here uh, tonight. So I guess our first show is, like, 4 o'clock or something like that. Uh, The 7 o'clock show. Earn, how many people bought tickets for the night show? I think that was the 4 o'clock. How many people bought tickets for the night show? Somebody go ask Connor up front. This is one of my favorite games to play is be like, how many people bought tickets? Like when we did Dune the other night, like Dune was the highest grossing film at Smod Castle Cinemas <laughs> on Wednesday night because like 65 had one person in it. One person was like, I love Adam Driver and I love dinosaurs and I'm willing to do this fucking alone. Kylo Ren hates dinosaurs, take my money. <laughs> um, when we opened Creed here, uh, I think Creed had six people on opening night. Uh, when we opened Avatar, Avatar had 12 people on opening night. And a lot of people were like, yeah, that's because you don't do 3D. And I'm like, but we are like one of the only movie theaters in a 10-mile radius and shit. But whenever we do something old, the place fills up. Like a couple last week, I guess, we, is when we did Clerks Open All Night, where we showed uh, Clerks, Clerks 2, and Clerks 3 from midnight till 7 in the morning. People came in their pajamas and stuff. Um, and, and oddly enough, didn't sleep through the whole thing. Um, even me, I was awake. I was like, what's going to happen to this Dante? <laughs> I hope he lives. Um, but uh, older stuff really tends to play here. I mean, I guess it's because there are other movie theaters in the area, like the aforementioned Cinemark, um, our fucking Lex Luthor. Um, but uh, yeah, old stuff, I think the further we go on, the more we'll find luck with the older stuff. We showed the Muppet movie here as part of a series of films called uh, The Movies That Made Me, and I wasn't here for it, sadly. But um, we had like 160 people for the Muppet movie, so much so that Ernie was like, these Muppets, they're a thing, aren't they? <laughs> and so he got like, you know, we had, there was no kids movie out like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. so Ernie just ordered up a Muppet movie. We tried to get um, The Great Muppet Caper, but I guess we got Muppets Take Manhattan or something like that, and ran that for a week and actually had more people come to that than come to 65. I mean, I'm not like bashing on 65. It's just when you think about like owning a movie theater, you're like, I'm going to be rich. That is not the case (laughs) Um, unless you're showing older shit. Uh, But the case in point, Mark went and saw a new thing down the road. Let's talk about Shazam. I'm not going to say much because it literally opened today. So I'm not going to spoil anything. But I will say, I think if anybody knows me, 
I was not going and expecting very much. Bar was low? The bar was incredibly low. I, I, I might have been expecting more from Ant-Man than I was from, from Shazam. Oh shit, we saw how that went. I know. Um, Mark's but, still talking bitterly about Ant-Man. God fucking, the Kang bang of it all. I was talking about my fucking relatives and I, the Kang bang of it all. <laughs> Um, I was talking about my relatives. I was literally talking about my aunt. And he was like, it had nothing to do with quantum mania. And he was like, aunt man. <laughs> um, but I surprisingly did not hate Shazam. Put that on a poster yeah, right there. Surprisingly didn't hate it. <laughs> Fat man beyond. Um, tell us, what, what did you not hate about it? You know, it, uh, it's, it's a kid's movie. And so you can't expect much in terms of stakes. Really, you can't expect much in terms of, of, of real gravity. But by the end of that movie, it kind of gets surprisingly emotional in ways that I didn't expect. Mm. You know, and much of it is because, you know, where Billy Batson is in terms of his adolescence, where he is in, in relation to his family, you know, and, and him sort of moving from one phase of life to another. And I did find myself kind of moved in the last act of it. I was not really moved in the first two acts, because whatever. Um, and like... All they have to do is finish well, though. Like, you know, that's it's, what it's they the say about effect. movies in general. Like, as long as you leave the theater happy, then it doesn't matter if the first two acts kind of sag or suck. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why Judy Dench is in that movie. Like, I'm sorry, Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren, not Judy Dench. Helen Mirren. <laughs> but still. Good point. Yeah. I didn't understand why Judy Dench was in it either because she's not in the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Just walking around the background, like, just looking for stuff. She was dressed Judy as a Dench. cat with no asshole. <laughs> Um, Helen Mirren, the great Helen Mirren, um, who's married to a director, Taylor Hackford. Yeah, who directed Ray. Yeah, amongst other things. Amongst absolutely. other things. I always think of him as the director of Against All Odds. Ah, uh, deep cut. Yeah, very deep cut. Something um, we'll be showing here next week as a first-run movie. <laughs> um, but, like, listen, I've, I've had worse times at superhero movies, again, for the poster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you could do worse than go see Shazam Fury of the Gods, like go see Quantumania. Was there a uh, last, uh, the last Shazam was surprised, the first Shazam, I should say, was a surprisingly uh, touching film by the end when they brought the family together mm -hmm. and all his fellow orphans, spoilers, became like the Marvel family. Um, was it, did it function kind of like that? Um, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I, I hesitate very much to spoil a lot. I will say that there was a cameo in that movie that I'd heard got cut, but wasn't. Wonder Woman? I mean, he, they spoiled it. <laughs> Like they, they marketed that for the last like three days online. The yeah, internet was so mad because like, why does DC keep giving away? Like the way Black Adam was like, hey man, Superman's in the movie and shit. And then they started doing that for this as well. So I knew that Wonder Woman was in it from, the, from three days ago. I didn't say it, <laughs> right? Like I was trying to be fucking cool about this and- Spoilers. Yeah. Where in the movie, beginning, middle, end? End. Very end? Yeah. Like post credit scene or no, like? In the movie, in the movie proper. And was she like, uh, congratulations, you're a superhero <laughs> or something like that? Yes. Welcome to the Justice League. Is that what she does? No. Oh. Because <laughs> I was like, fuck this show. I'm going to go see that right now. Um, but yeah, was, Here, here's the thing. I bet you, like after this is done, uh, for the uh, people in the theater here, uh, we're going to be watching a little something. A little something. Uh, that we're not going to, yes. Are we allowed to say? I mean, I, I haven't been that fucking precious about it online, but you know, it's just a bonus. Like if you came all the way from wherever you came, 
you know, the very least is we can not just give you a show for one, two, three hours, probably not three. Um, oh, it might be three. Nice. <laughs> yeah, like, when have we ever done? Hey, it's a tight 45. Everybody go home. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, just a little something, like a little fucking gift basket in the ver- version of a movie we're going to show you for 15 minutes and 16 seconds. Is that how long it is? Yes. 15, 16? 15, 16. Uh, for those at home going, what are they talking about? Uh, Mark has talked about it on the podcast many times, and we've updated throughout the episodes. Uh, he said by the time he was 50, he wanted to direct something. And he did. He directed a short called Splinter. So when we're done with Fat Man Beyond, once we're offline, uh, we're going to actually, since we know a guy with a movie theater, we're actually going to show the short to everybody here in attendance and whatnot. Um, yes. And I, I am incredibly sympathetic to because we had some almost 3,000 donors to this movie and many of them have not gotten to see it yet um all so, they have to do is come to smod castle cinema <laughs> apparently uh some of you are in the house and for that i remain eternally grateful but for the ones who are not in the house and couldn't be a part of it and are like why are you fucking showing that movie and i can't see it yet technically this is a festival yeah i can show it at festivals ah look at it I look just, at your workaround very no, nice yes. loopholes are your friend yeah. i can't distribute it and technically sending it out to three thousand people would count as digital distribution so i can't do that right but just between us girls we can watch a movie right yeah when you're the filmmaker you can do whatever you want including make yoga hosers um <laughs> For, uh, for those in the audience, how many people uh, helped? What did you do, Kickstarter? Or? Yes, Kickstarter. How many people helped Kickstarter? Put your hands together. Look at that. He made his dream come true, and you're going to see the result tonight. Uh, maybe after that's over, we'll watch the last three minutes of Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> Just skip the rest of the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. huh, that's how it ends. All right. Um, how was the, the Cinemark Theater? What do they do that we don't, that you went there? <laughs> well, they showed a matinee. Is what yeah. they did. Uh, it's, it's, I have some nostalgia for that theater because for a long time, that was the theater when I lived in New Jersey. I lived in Aberdeen, New Jersey for like 15 years. And that was my movie theater. And Mark's was, lady comes from the area as well. Yeah, she was born in Middletown and lived in Red Bank when I met her. Um, and we, when we bought a house and got married and had children, that happened in, in Aberdeen. So that was my sort of little hometown pocket. So going back in, I was like, oh, that dumb arcade is still in the corner. That still has fucking like a Terminator Salvation video game. Salvation? Yeah. That's the one, that's the one with... Uh, Sam Worthington. Yeah, and, 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 and the, the Christian screamer. Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale. <laughs> the screamer. When he got oh, mad Batman? at him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> in that movie, he was like, rah, rah, rah. but on the set of that movie, that's the one where he's like, oh, good for you. <laughs> Out of my fucking sideline! Which he apologized for. He went on, like Ralph Garman on Hollywood Babylon always does his impression of, of uh, Christian Bale screaming and stuff. But uh, Ralph worked at K-Rock for years uh, on the Kevin and Bean show. And Christian Bale, like they were making fun of him for like all, all day for that. And then Christian Bale called in and actually was like, look, I just want to apologize. I'm, I'm not going to try to do this British accent. Oh, come on, like do that. it. I'm so sorry. Um... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll do his Batman. That's better. <laughs> uh, but apologize and talk to him for a while. And Ralph was just like, for a while, they were vetting the call going, this can't be him. But it was legit him, man. So I always thought that was kind of classy move. Uh, not when he yelled at somebody, but like when he was like, yeah, that was a dick move and stuff. Um, what else was the experience like at Cinemark? How was the popcorn? Uh, didn't have any. My seats were a little fucked up. Oh, really? Yeah. Do tell. Uh, 
because they got like the fancy dancy reclining seats yeah yeah but there is a sign above every theater saying if you have an issue with your seat let us know before the movie starts so i go sit down in my seat and the one next to me looks like it had been like it's a it's like dom toretto had driven it off a cliff <laughs> and it landed somewhere and so the seat was fucking out and sideways and family <laughs> yeah hashtag family and uh and so then because that seat was fucked up my seat didn't move and i was like oh well luckily there's only four other people in this giant theater i'm gonna just pick another seat nice and i did that was my experience fucked up seat okay movie no popcorn um that's the one thing we get a lot of credit for here here in the house one uh, uh at uh smart castle cinemas uh the biggest complaint is about the seats uh the people are like these seats aren't fucking nice or comfortable or good at all um <laughs> but these are the seats that like like these were the seats when i used to come here as a kid so i have a real hard time kind of letting it go uh we have had like the option to pick up seats from other closing movie theaters i should have known when other movie theaters are closing i should have been like perhaps now's not the time to buy a movie theater <laughs> mercifully i bought it with a bunch of friends so we all kind of uh, share the wealth and the burden and stuff but we've talked about um replacing the seats in some of the other theaters but this one I, I feel like I got to keep these seats, man. Like, I, I would hate to, you know, number one, if you bring in those comfy layback seats, we would lose number. I think we have about 230 possible seats here. But there's something wonderfully nostalgic for me, and I'm sure people sitting in the seats are like, it's not nostalgic for my ass, motherfucker. But, <laughs> but having these seats makes all the difference here. Um, there's another theater that we got that has really fucking nice seats, man. Not like the layback seats, but they're... They look like seats like when you play those arcade games and you're driving a car and shit mm -hmm. like that. They look like those seats. And they're very low to the floor. That's why I watched, where I watched Avatar. And the seat was incredibly low to the floor. These are, you know, kind of standard-ass seats from the 70s and 80s. I'll be honest with you, maybe even the 60s at this point. Um, yeah, these seats were giving me flashbacks. Because <laughs> when I went to, a, I did a marathon. I did a Marvel movie marathon where I saw... Which theater? This was at the El Capitan. Worst theater. fucking seats on the planet. Yeah. yeah. And I was in that theater for 36 hours. Oof. It was from Iron Man to Infinity War. And they pretty much showed, I think they skipped one or two movies. It was 18 movies. Uh, Did they skip Thor 2? Yes. Mercifully. Yeah. And Ant-Man 2. Who gives a shit? But, um, they skipped Iron Man 2? Ant-Man 2. Ant-Man 2. They made us watch Iron Man 2. Because <laughs> of that fucking bird. <laughs> um, but like, I just remember the pain of trying to sleep in those seats and trying to find a way to be comfortable. And also the, the vapor trails of odors from dudes dressed as Thor and encased in Hulk plastic fucking fake armor. I imagine the first show, you're like, yeah, hey, I'm dressed as Thor. And four movies in, you're like, why did I dress like Thor? Yeah. And it was like catered by Chick-fil-A. And so, uh, like a 24 hour Chick-fil-A burn in a bunch of people in a theater who not leaving, like, bro, tough. That smell was high. <laughs> we have talked about uh, trying to do that here, but like that's uh, Disney puts out all the Marvel movies and Disney is like really kind of stingy when you want to do a stingy, they just don't let us do, um, older movies and stuff. Mm. Like we showed, I mean, I don't know if I should admit this, but we showed Iron Man at one point. <gasps> um and so far they haven't sued us but uh they were very like you can't do that mm. i was like all right warner brothers recently did that when we showed batman a few months ago and then we wanted to show batman returns and warner brothers was like absolutely not i think they're just holding all michael keaton batman until june when the flash opens up but they were like you can show mask of the phantasm and i was like oh i know two dudes who were in that shit 
So we showed it and it was a wonderful screening here. But we've talked about, like since we did Clerks Open All Night and showed three Clerks movies, doing our version of that Marvel, like every movie marathon mm -hmm. by doing like a View of Universe marathon, mm -hmm. which would be Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane, Silent Bob, Strike Back, um, Clerks 2, Jane, Silent Bob reboot, and then Clerks 3, eight movies. But I don't know if like, if it's such a weird roller coaster, you know, because like Clerks, yay, Mallrats, yay, Chasing Amy, deeply fucking emotional. Mm -hmm. um, dogma, it makes you question your fucking faith. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back brings your faith back to you. Um, but would you suggest doing it over the course of one day or two days if we would do something like that? As a man who sat through many movies. As a man who did it. How, yeah. what's, what do you think the running time is? All in like 12, 13 hours? Eight movies at like, let's average, well, I was going to say an hour 45, but who can do that fucking math? Let's just say two hours a piece, even though most of them are 90 minutes. So like, let's call it 14 hours. Um, if you start on a Saturday at like 6 p.m., you can probably get to Dogma at Sunday at 12.01 to go to church. That's true. It'd be like going to Mass. You could yeah. skip church that day. <laughs> I, think, I think you just you do them all. You do them all from, you just pick a, t a starting time. 6 p.m. is not so bad. Like, mm. you're kind of, so you can endure the emotional heartache of chasing Amy while you're still awake. Yes. You know, and you get Dogma at midnight, you can sort of fucking ride that high, and then you can kind of end it at breakfast the next day. It's mm -hmm. not Good bad. Idea. I believe we're doing, I just spoke to Jason Lee. Jason Lee came out like a month and a half ago, and we did Mall Rats here with Jason Lee and Jeremy London. And Jason fell in love with the theater. He was like, oh my God, I fucking love this. And the idea of like people filling up and, and coming to see him and Q&A and stuff. So he was like, um, let's do it again. So Chasing Amy's anniversary is always in April. That's like when it came out. So we're talking about April 21st doing a Chasing Amy screening here uh, with Jason Lee. In the very near future, we're doing March 31st, I think it is. Um, Brian Quinn is bringing the Impractical Jokers movie here. And we'll do a Q&A after that. I think April 1st, we're doing Bob Hawke's documentary, Film Hawk. And then I forget what we're doing on the 2nd. Uh, April 20th, 420, of course, I believe we're doing Strike Back and Reboot as a double feature. Hmm. Um, you know, bring your own weed. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, the Chasing Amy thing would happen on like the Sunday after that or the Saturday after that. Um, so you can, we'll let you know when that's going to happen. Um, God, what was the thing I wanted to bring up? Vamp for a second. I forgot. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good, man. Right? Just like that frog. <laughs> Michigan J Frog. The marathon? Yeah, I, I was done, but there was something else I wanted to talk about. Now I totally skipped my mind. What is that? The liquor license. I mean, we could talk about that. Um, we're getting a liquor license. And yeah, we're yeah. done. Um, <laughs> scene. Yeah, I think it'd be much easier to sit through eight VSQ movies if you were drunk. <laughs> uh, but most theaters that like when I went on the convenience tour uh, from September to December, a lot of them were uh, mom and pop owned. They weren't like part of Cinemark, your best fucking friends and shit. Um, and the two things they said were like, because uh, I was like, I bought a movie theater. And they're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I was like, why? And they're like, you're never going to make money off the movies. And I was like, well, I, you know, I know you make money off concessions. And they're like, you ain't going to make money off popcorn either. The only way to stay in business is to have a liquor license, number one. And number two, this was, this was a suggestion from uh, the folks at the Rio Theater in Vancouver. 
They're like, if you want to stay alive, you got to start serving grilled cheese sandwiches. And I was like, really? And they're like, oh my God, get two panini presses and offer grilled cheese. It is fucked up how much people love cheese. I was like, is that a Canada thing? They're like, that is worldwide, man. So we have on our menu board like grilled cheese, but we've never done it yet. <laughs> so I think we got to add a sticker coming soon. Uh, but yes, liquor license will be next. We're taking out, like we've got five screens at Spot Castle Cinemas. So we're going to take out one of the screens and turn that into a, a bar, a bar themed like a movie theater. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that'll be a, a few months before it happens. But oh my God, when that happens, like you charge like $10 for a drink that costs like 75 cents and shit. Then I'll be rich, Mark. Yes. So you're all seeing how we're going to take advantage of you once you get to look at <laughs> Yes. Like, you guys, I'm going to charge you 500% more than this cost me. <laughs> and you'll love me for it. The, uh, the movies that we did this weekend or this week for the Ides of Mark, um, you can't just show them, right? You got to pay for them and stuff. And so uh, flat, uh, Streets of Fire, I asked Ernie, I was like, how much is Streets of Fire? And he's like, 200 bucks. And uh, I was just like, all right, so we charged 20 bucks a ticket and shit. So at 10 seats, we were already like paid for the print and stuff like that. Um, but it's not just one flat fee. Like if we had sold out the theater, then it's 35% of whatever you make. Oh. Yeah. So it's in your best interest to not sell out a theater. Yes. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so I should not have been flocking the internet so hard to get people to show up. No. Because it's actually less good for you. Yes. But for, in terms of showing flicks. But in terms of doing this, like we get to keep all this money. Man. <laughs> we don't have to give anything to fucking right. Universal. So underachieve for the movies. Overachieve yes. for Fat Man. For the live stuff. Thank you. I just got to know where the... The idea here is to like... like give people an experience right make it experiential like you can go see a movie anywhere you can go see shazam at cinemark you don't have to come here for it as we fucking heard nice commercial man fuck but like what you can't do at other theaters is like this or q a and like before ernie was talking about you know i was joking like why do we buy a movie theater and ernie was like because you like to talk <laughs> and it's true it is like having your own kind of private personal stage where you can do not just fun movie things but then live podcasts as well so we've been talking about doing this for a red hot minute and y'all showing up means the absolute world so thank you for being here tonight kids <laughs> Um, I am uh, fucking exhausted. I got up at three in the morning and uh, couldn't fall back asleep. So I worked on a, a Green Hornet. Me and Mark are working on a Green Hornet cartoon series for uh, the folks at Wild Brain. And um, Thwip is that the Green Hornet thing? Does it is that Thwip? No, that's, no, <laughs> that's the Spider Hornet. Oh, um, fuck. It is the the animation isn't like flat two D animation. It's that Pixar looking shit. Mm. So they did a piece of animation for us like a long time ago when we were pitching the series, which is essentially the, the opening credits. And the idea was we were like, let's do a sequence like, you know, the opening of Batman, the animated series that was a little vignette about the hero in action. And so when they put it together, it was like spellbindingly fucking good. And then we were like, fuck, now we got to write a good show. And uh, mercifully, uh, Mark agreed to work on it. And then uh, Han and, and Jenny are our other two writers. And so... Um, at three in the morning when I couldn't sleep, I got up and worked on episode, what was it, 107? Mm -hmm. Was Han's script. Like, uh, I've got the, um, uh, what was my title? Uh, story editor. Story editor. So that means like you get to go over everybody's work and stuff like that. 
Um, so they hand in a script and you get to kind of add things to it or not, as is the case with the uh, Hans stuff is like mm -hmm. so incredibly well written. Um, but when I was doing that at three in the morning, I was like, as soon as I finish this, I'll go back to sleep. But I did not fucking go to sleep, man, because my dog, Shecky, lives upstairs as well with me. And she's 18 years old. And um, it, she's blind as fuck, man. Like, she's got a great nose. Like, she'll find me anywhere in this place. And last night when we were doing the show, like, uh, Mark was doing Q&A after uh, Streets of Fire. And I had to, like, let my dog out and stuff. And I took the dog out. She went outside. She always pisses right in front of the movie theater doors. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, but then I brought her in, and she was just doing laps while we were doing Q&A. And at one point, somebody was like, your dog's taking a shit. And she sure did. She took a shit in the fucking aisle. So she kept me up, man. She wouldn't go to sleep and whatnot. And so uh, this morning, I went hiking in Highlands, which is my hometown where I grew up, and did about four and a half miles. I got my 10,000 steps in before, like, 11 o'clock. And then I realized, like, what a stupid idea, because I'm so fucking tired right now. So I'm glad that you're electric and warm. Huzzah! Because I might just fucking fall asleep during the show. If you see me pass out, kids, it's solely for that reason. Uh, do we want to talk about some other shit that we've seen? Because we can talk about uh, Last of Us, the Let's finale. Let's do that. Let's begin with The Last of Us. Bamf. Um, oh. Hey! You uh, know, you know it's, it's Bamf, man, everybody. Give it up for Bamf, man. I'm going to throw out there that the um, other way that you can make money at a movie theater is by doing ads. Maybe we do an ad before. We've, we have, uh, we have a old, old friend returning. Oh, we actually have, you're saying we have to do an ad. We yes. have to do an ad. I'm, I'm being not so subtle. <laughs> I forgot about that. I was so busy plugging my shit. I forgot about <laughs> Somebody paying for us. That's right, kids. Uh, our, uh, the good folks at Manscaped are our sponsor tonight. Give it up for the good folks at Manscaped. That would have been, that's why we should have had a laptop. I could have had my fucking copy in front of me, but Mark's got the copy. Um, yeah. It's about the yeah. weed whacker. Share? Yeah. yeah, we'll fucking do it. First off, if you're at home, kids, right now, and you're following along, uh, to get 20% off and free shipping, just go to... Uh, where? Oh, manscaped.com <laughs> and enter our code FATMAN20. Man, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use our code FATMAN20. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Uh, this week, the Manscaped folks sent a weed whacker, it's mm -hmm. called, 2.0. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, man, this is for cutting ball hair. And I, because that's generally what Manscaped is all about. Yeah, and it's a little dangerous when somebody's like, weed whacker for your balls. <laughs> yes. It's not, there's not a deep control element on a weed whacker. Halfway through using it, because before you can endorse it, you're like, let me see if this works. Um, I was using it on my ball hair, and then I looked at the box, and it's like for ear and nose hair. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. And I used them in the proper places, and it fucking really worked, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, I got all the hair out of my ears. I'm starting to feel like an old man and shit. I was seeing come, shit pop out and whatnot like a grandpa. Uh, and went up my nostrils as well. And it didn't cut me or anything. Like it cut what it was supposed to. Nice. Which I guess is like the best yeah, endorsement your, you can give it. It tore up your balls, but it left your ears. Yes. <laughs> Don't use the weed whacker on your nuts. But that being said, you've used the shavers on your head, not the weed whacker, but the other shavers. Correct. I have indeed used the, both the beard shaver on my beard and then I've used the regular thing on my head. Mm. Especially during the pandemic when I wasn't letting like strange people near my head. Um, I, was, I was a do-it-yourself barber. I was a DIY fucking barber guy. Do it yourself. Yeah. 
Cutting your own shit. Making my own rhymes. Too. How often do you work on your nut hair? Well, uh, it all depends on the day, what my plans are for the night, you know, put a little fucking quaff grease on that shit. And <laughs> snidely whiplash it and then head out for a night on the town. <laughs> snidely whiplash it. Um, uh, I'm going to read some of their copy because generally they always write good copy. Cue dramatic sounds. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beard products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world uh, the leaders uh, in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole. That's pretty good. Wow. It's like Christmas theme. Yeah, very much so. Uh, north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products, the new Weed Whacker 2.0, and their new beard line uh, confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for uh, you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code FATMAN20 for 20% off plus free shipping. So since we've got like 200 people here, jump on your phones. We'll wait. Go buy one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, if you're at home, kids, uh, don't forget the good folks at Manscaped sponsoring uh, the show tonight. Always uh, been a wonderful sponsor for us and stuff. And always send free products. Yeah. I have so many fucking shavers. I have more shavers than I'll ever be able to use in a lifetime because they always send me one. And I'm like, I have this already. But I don't want to complain because free is free. Yeah, yeah totally. Look for us to auction those off at the next <laughs> Fat Man Beyond. Uh, folks at home don't know, but like before the show began... We, I always like to do, one of my favorite fucking things in the world is to sell shit. Because um, I used to be a guy who sold shit for other people and whatnot, working a quick stop, which is the convenience store from Clerks, which is not very far from here at all. It's about a mile and a half down the road in Leonardo. Um, so I'm, a, I'm an old school fucking nickel and dime guy. Um, and before the screenings, like since we don't make a lot of money in the film exhibition business, like I always like to bring shit up and sell off one of a kind, uh, whatnot. So before we went, right before we went, I was like selling shit, like fucking for cash and credit cards and stuff. And then we started the show. Uh, so sooner or later, I will start selling some Manscaped gear uh, right off the stage, man. But until then, uh, we thank the good folks at Manscaped for being sponsors. Give it up for the good folks at Manscaped. Um, is that good enough, Banff man? Can we move on? Banff. Sounds good to me. There it is. Covers our oh. obligations. There it is. Um, That's what's important. Yes. Um, all right. I have not watched a single episode of uh, The Last of Us yet. But uh, I know it's done now, so I can watch the whole fucking thing. You absolutely can. Has anybody else watched? Are we all caught up? Has everybody seen everything? Now, this show has become insanely popular for HBO. It has indeed. I think the finale pulled something like eight and a half million viewers. Oh, my God. And this is one of 186 shows that Pedro Pascal is on. Is that correct? Yes. It's, it's the one in which he's actually on the set. Yes. <laughs> I, was just, I was watching The Mandalorian today going like, I know that's not him. They've actually started putting his doubles in the credits. Yeah. Because, Have they really? Yeah. Brendan Wayne, who is John Wayne's grandson. He's the Mandalorian? He's one of the Mandalorians. He's like the walking around Mandalorian, and then there's a fighting Mandalorian, and then there's the, like the one time that dude's got to take off his mask Mandalorian, and that's Pedro Pascal. And I guess there's a long tradition of that in Star Wars, and as much as like David Prowse was Darth Vader, but he certainly didn't sound like David Prowse. Yeah. You can watch that like section on, there's a little clip online of Darth Vader from Star Wars, but with David Prowse's voice, and he's like, come here, princess. <laughs> If this is a console, shit, where are the ambassadors? 
Uh, it was a good move getting uh, James Earl Jones. But uh, I, I did, as I was watching Mandalorian today, I was like, man, what a dream gig it must be for Pedro Pascal. You just walk into a sound studio and you're just like, this is the way. Thank you. And then you fucking... <laughs> You know. Meanwhile, it's John Wayne's grandson yeah, running Brandon around Wayne. doing shit. Check him out. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about Last of Us, where Pedro actually does show up all the time. He actually does show up all the time. Um, you were a big fan of the game. I was a huge fan of the game. Did anybody else play the game? Um, the, the TV show and the game have been very kind of in lockstep with the events that happen. We have a couple of diversions. There's the Frank and Bill episode, which is phenomenal, if you've never seen it, with... with uh, with a no, Noah, what do you want to call him? John Offerman and Nick Offerman. Why did I fuck up that dude's name twice? Uh, Nick Offerman and, and uh, Murray Bartlett playing uh, Frank and Bill, who in the game were just kind of like these side characters, one of which you encounter on route to finding some shit. The other one is only kind of referred to, but it becomes this very heartbreaking, wonderful standalone episode about just two guys falling in love in the middle of the end of the world. Um, so that- and For those of us that don't watch the show, it's about- it's yeah. a it's about uh it's about a zombie apocalypse ultimately except in this show another fucking show about that yes indeed but in this show the zombies are not um it's not a viral thing it's a fungal pandemic basically they're like giant mushrooms that want to eat people are they the clickers in question yes, that's indeed. what they call them clickers yes they, the the technical term is cordyceps which is the kind of fungal infection that fucks with everybody mm -hmm. So, I mean, functionally, it's a zombie show. It's the same thing, right. but um, at least it's, it's got a little different spin on it. Um, and so it's basically, it's a, it's a lone wolf and cub story. It's, you know, Joel Miller, played by Pedro Pascal, is a guy who lost his daughter on the day the fucking world ended mm. and has been haunted by that for the next 20 years of his life. And Ellie is a young woman who was kind of brought up in the system who happens to be, spoilers, uh, immune to this particular strain of zombie. And why spoilers? They, they didn't reveal that until... I mean, if you haven't seen the show, I don't want to tell you some shit you didn't want to know, but they kind of keep that a little bit of a secret for a, for a beat and a half. It's right. like for the first episode, you kind of... Is he immune as well? Nobody but her is. Yeah. She, that's why she's special. Right. So special. And he's got a protector for that. He's got a protector. His for whole what job, reason? To get her to a place to cure to, everybody or not? Right. To get her from one place currently the Boston um, DMZ uh, quarantine zone all the way to the Fireflies, which is this kind of rebel organization in the show mm -hmm. who have a hospital somewhere west of the Rockies that might be able to synthesize a cure for everybody if he can deliver her there. And when you say everybody who's left. Is there a large population left? Or I mean, there's there's more people than you'd think, you know, kind of clustered in pockets. You know, the big cities still have people there. Are, there are places. There's a, a spot in Jackson, Wyoming, that seems to be a thoroughly functioning civilization where they have plumbing and they have hot water and they have food that they grow and not much of a zombie problem at all. Like there's places that you can go that it's not so bad and there are big cities, which is kind of awful. Mm. Um, and so the game is very much a story about Joel who wants nothing to do with Ellie because she reminds him too much of his dead daughter coming to ultimately accept her as the surrogate daughter that has now gone. And she begins to rely on him as the father who she'd never had. You know, she's only ever known people who would eventually leave her or send her away. And so there's this lovely bond that forms between those two characters over the course, like 25 hours of playing that game. And there's action shit and running and jumping and stabbing of zombies and, you know, resource management and all the stuff that happens in a game like that. But ultimately, it's a story of a broken man who learns to become a father who then reluctantly becomes a hero by the end of the game. 
And that's why I was so invested in the show because I knew where it was going. Right. Because the end of that game broke me in like a dozen different ways. And the reason why is, and we're all going to talk about it here because we've all seen it. And now it's almost a week after the finale. And so when Joel finally delivers Ellie to the Firefly HQ, they say, okay, we can, we can synthesize this cure from her, from her brain matter, but we're going to have to kill her to do it. Oh, shit. And so... And you knew that from playing the game? I knew that from playing the game. And the, and the way that sort of unspools in the game is like, yeah, he brings her there. He's super happy. And then everything's great. Thanks, Joel. You did the thing. And then they tell him that she's going to die. And then you as the player are forced to rescue Ellie because the hero in Joel should want to save everybody, right? Like that's the thing. The hero wants to save the most people for the most reason. Tracks. But Joel is not a hero at that point. Joel is a dad. And a dad is never going to choose the good of the many. They're only ever going to choose the good of the one. Mm. And so Joel goes on this fucking hell-bent for leather mission and like kills everybody in this hospital to get to where Ellie is being operated on and then kills the doctor who's about to operate her and then rescues her out of it, thereby dooming the rest of mankind to this ongoing epidemic. And that was the end of the game. The end of the game. And you can't not do it. Like the you game, can't choose to be like, you know, she'll be you're, fine. You're right, I get it. You know, it's fine. There's plenty of little girls out there. I can take another daughter. I would just go all John Barenthal and be like, you can't protect a Rick and move on and shit. <laughs> Credits. Um, but what you, the, So you have to. You have you no have choice. To. What so, kind of fucking game is this? Uh, what I thought does, the game is about choices and shit. Sometimes it is, but like most games, at least most story-based games, are about a story that the storytellers want to tell. And, but what it does is it makes you complicit in that action. It makes you responsible for what you've done. Mm. And I've never really played a game that made me feel that way. And then it becomes about, does he tell Ellie what he did? What he did? Does he tell her that he rescued her and then doomed the rest of mankind to the world that she's, the only world she's ever known? And so he lies to her because he That's works. a thing you do in the game, like X, Y, lie or something no. like that? At, that? at that point, you're watching a cutscene. As How like, much, what is the gameplay? Just shooting zombies? There's a lot of shooting of zombies. Or shooting doctors as well. <laughs> yeah, there's some shooting of people because there's a lot about like the, the, the other people alive during this, this hellscape are like just dudes who want your shit. And so you're both trying to survive and it's walking dead. Every, every zombie story is that way. There's the zombies and there's the people who survive the zombies. And which one of them is actually more Sometimes dangerous? they're in a mall like Dawn of the Dead. Sometimes they're in a mall. Um, and so the, the game very much makes you complicit. A TV show can't do that. A TV show can only portray a story for you. Right. So you're just watching Joel become the Punisher by the end of this thing, which there's some joy to be taken for sure, but you lose the feeling that you, you lose the responsibility that you had as a game player for that particular part of the story. Hmm. And my, my issue, like I liked the show. I didn't love the show. And my only issue was that I, it was nine episodes long. And at least three of those episodes are not about Joel and Ellie. It's not about welding these two characters together. So you understand why Joel does what he does at the end. We spend an episode falling in love with Frank and Bill, only for them to die. We spend an episode falling in love with- Frank and Bill die? Yeah. Of old age. Spoiler, oh, of old age. Yeah, like one dude, well, he's got a terminal condition, but there's no zombies that kill them, it's just, He's getting sick, and I love you, and so we're both going to drink this bottle of wine that has drugs in it that's going to kill us, and we'll have one last great day as husband and husband. So they don't die. They commit suicide. Well, that's also dying, though. <laughs> Good point. 
but it's it's actually like sweet and romantic and, right. and kind of gorgeous. But there's a couple of episodes that are very standalone and tell stories of other people who have relationships, which are great episodes, but it doesn't do the thing of welding those two characters together. Mm. You know, and so and there's a, another lovely episode called Left Behind based on a, a downloadable content chapter of the game that tells of Ellie's first kiss of you know her best friend and ellie is gay in the games and always has been and always will be and so it's just it's in a mall where these two characters just kind of fucking flirt and hang out and have a good time and and like ride on a fucking carousel and play video games until the zombie bites you know ellie's best friend and that's how ellie discovers that she is immune because her friend is not and so they both get bitten but only her friend turns and like it's a lovely story but it doesn't do the job of telling me why joel is going to kill everybody in a, in, a, in a hospital to save that girl. Mm. And so that is my only quibble with the show, and that is my only real quibble by the end of it, is that I just, I wanted to love them together, and instead I love them separately. And that's a choice that the show made, and it's, it's executed very well. But that was just, I felt a little hollow at the end. It's like, oh, well, yeah, dude, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Which is weird because you'd imagine like a drama, a TV drama would like pull you in more than a, a video game. And yet still you felt more emotional about the game. I did. I felt the same way about Activision's Pitfall in the 80s. You know, because it's once you got to like the three crocodiles of the head you had to yes. jump on. Well, when uh, that scorpion popped up. Fuck. Um, but yeah, that was just that was my takeaway. Like I, I very much dug it. I bet you that show's going to win like a handful of Emmys. Um, but it it. It didn't, it's, a, it's like an A minus for me. Like it's still very good, but it didn't, it didn't ascend to the same heights that the game did for me. Mm. But I see where they go for season two and probably season three. Well, that's my question. It, it sounds like the, if they follow the game closely, like is there another game? Yes. So there's more than one game. So last of Us Part Two. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what season two is going to be. See, the Last of Us Part Two. What a fucking two. easy job this is and shit. <laughs> Why am I bothering creating new shit when I could just get a video game? And be like, let's just follow this. Yeah, just do what we did. Yeah, but a little different. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because I like feeling bad about myself. And so, <laughs> like, and those games are not fucking like Good Time Charlie video games. Like, is that is, right? It is fucking bleak emotionally and physically so you're like, <laughs> <laughs> why do you make me hurt so much i love it when you make me hurt is this the first video game movie media tv show that's ever worked based on a video game um i mean listen fucking super mario brothers is going to be great <laughs> he said convincingly <laughs> um you know like the problem with most of those things are is that they try to replicate the game right which you can't do um i think like resident evil is actually a pretty decent adaptation because it then just becomes a horror thing like what are you taking from the game oh well it's fucking umbrella corp that created fucking zombies and i got this character who's got to kill fucking zombies that's cool we can do nine of these movies and they did and you know they're all of varying degrees of success i mean they're all better than street fighter um <laughs> which is awful but I mean, it's what also about Mortal Kombat? <sighs> oh, that's the thing. It's like the rest of the movie can suck because they have the theme song. Yeah, the theme song. Man, 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 yeah. man, man, just get some dude just goes fatality. <laughs> Finish him. It's Liu Kang wins. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you could be the voice. Tell them. Yeah. The world. Give me that fucking cheddar. Um, 
but yeah, like that was just that was my takeaway. Like I appreciated it. I it's so fucking well done and so expertly realized. But it just got this a little bit of emotional hollowness at the center of it for me. Um, how did you guys feel? Did you like? Did you d- dislike? Loved? How many people hated The Last of Us? Look at that. That's pretty good. That's not bad. No. I mean, that dude didn't respond. I think he just fucking hated it and won't say anything. <laughs> it's like, I ain't saying shit, but man, fuck those cutscenes. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Mando? Yeah, moving on, man. We'll talk about Mandalorian. How many people have been uh, up to date with The Mandalorian, new season three? Uh, they've released three episodes so far. Yes. Um, the first episode felt like a kind of like, hey, we're back, and this is the story. And, and not, it didn't feel like a lot happened in it other than him going, him taking shit for taking his helmet off. Right. And also him being like, I need a droid. That droid. The broken one? Yeah. Let me fix it. Oh, shit, it's trying to kill me. Maybe I shouldn't have this droid, but I need that droid. Why do you need that droid? For reasons. Okay, I guess I got to go get parts for this droid. Okay, it's basically like giving him the needs list to go to Space Radio Shack to buy parts for the droid. <laughs> they just got to put back together. And then in episode two, completely abandoned. Where he's just like, I gotta get this thing for an IG droid. We don't have it. Nobody can get it. How about this shitty droid in the quarter? All right. <laughs> so we didn't need that at all? No, any droid will do, it turns out. Is that, was that two or three? three that, that was two. two. That, that was, was where two. he gets R5D4. Right. Who the, they turn into like the, she, at one point, Amy Sedaris calls, calls him Freddy droid. <laughs> Freddy droid. And it, all to like, Listen, I didn't like the first two episodes much, but you so, didn't dig the first two episodes because it was a like a list of shit that he had to do that he just abandoned the minute a different thing came along, right. and then he gets the droid. Why do we need the droid? We got droids got to do readings for me when we get to fucking Mandalore. I was excited when he was like, "We're bringing back IG eighty eight, and he what was the name? IG eleven, yeah, I guess. And and he had the statue like honoring him that was made of him. Yep. Um, and then when I was like, "Oh shit, this would be cool," because I did like that character. It's one of the greatest episodes of Mandalorian where he fucking smokes everybody coming in. And he's like, "I'm a nurse." <laughs> um, but then it was I turned. I didn't see coming when he was still like he reverted to his original programming. Right. Stuff. Um, but then when they get R five D four to go and do like fucking readings and shit from Mandalore, R five doesn't do that shit. No. And so fucking Mando's just like, all right, I guess I'll seal my helmet and walk out there myself. So, well, you could have done that the whole fucking time. <laughs> like you guys, he's going to man to the actual Mandalore planet because right. so, he, he wants to bathe in the living waters, waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Uh, yeah. And then which he goes and gets fucking like, everybody's got to save Mando in episode two. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to walk down here and fucking come with me. You know, Grogu, it'll be fine. And then he gets fucking beset by the weird-ass spider mechanized droid thing. Yeah. Uh, Go get help, Lassie. Which I thought was Tell him I'm down the well. Um, I thought it was cool. I liked the design of that droid with the one human eye Mm -hmm. inside and stuff. The things that I didn't, like, I was like, man, they went cheap on that. Were the things that were coming through the ceiling that were trying to eat them. Maybe dragon things. Not the baby dragon things, the, the things that look like people in bad costumes. Oh, right. Like the Star Trek aliens from classic. <laughs> Very much so. I thought they looked like Slee Stacks from Land of the Lost and mm-hmm. shit. And I was like, they must have run out of money at that point. Doesn't look like any Star Wars thing. I, normally, like you'll see background characters or foreground characters that look like, hey, that's Boss. Hey, that's this. That's that. That one looked like a brand new design. It looked like they ran out of money. Bamf. Yeah. Oh, oh look who's there. It's Bamf Bam. What do you got, got kid? I- 
I think it was uh, a callback to the time machine and the the future Warlock? aliens Warlock? in the time machine. It, it, in a similar way in like Book of Boba Fett, how they carried uh, called back to uh, the like four armed Goro Harryhausen monster. I think it was mm-hmm. like a callback to that early sci fi time machine. Um, it seemed like a callback to a cheaper era. It's yeah. what it felt like. Everything like, else, especially because that robot looks so fucking badass and shit. It's like, hey guys, we got like nine spools of carpet out back. What should we do with it? I know. Let's make aliens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also like. So the the plot of the episode is we got to go to the fucking mines of Mandalore. We got to go see fucking Bo-Katan launching on a kick-ass throne. And then Mando's gonna do the thing where he goes down there and gets caught. Then Grogu back, gets back up, gets Bo-Katan, and she's gonna do the exact fucking thing. We're just watching like another person play this level of this game and like go down, save Mando, who's like stuck in a fucking trap. He oh. did bust out the dark saber, which I thought was badass. He did, and still get caught in anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you're not good at this. And so then he's like, thank you, Bo-Katan, for saving me. Let's go find the waters. And so they go down to the waters. He takes one fucking step off the shelf and into the, again, the well's too deep for Mando. And so Boca says, oh, fuck, I guess I got to save him again. Is that what it was? Like, he just literally, like, went into the deep end? It wasn't he got pulled down or anything nope. like that? Nope. He was just like, do 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 And then Sheaf, like, dives in. Yeah. And I thought that was cool as fuck. They showed, it, like, that outfit underwater. It's super cool. But he's yeah. like, you know, Virgil Brigman back on the air because he went that fucking far down and sees a... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You, you and I both like enjoyed the fuck out of that. One dude likes the abyss too. <laughs> um, right, like all the bombings. What you can't hear at home is somebody in the audience talking. And um, <laughs> say it again so I can relate it to them. It was Bo-Katan said what? Be- because of the explosions that happened on top. The floor that they walked on yeah, caved in. The Thai bombers who fucking destroyed the service of Mandalore and apparently rendered it unbreathable and inoperable, but it's totally fine. Um, and then un- underwater, they saw the, the uh, mythosaur. Right. At one point. Potentially alive. It looked like it was alive. And the mythosaur is meant to be the, is that the cartoon animal, that dinosaur that Boba Fett was riding in the Star Wars cartoon? And no? Uh, that I, I, know, I, don't, I don't. Banff Man? the fuck up man Banff. uh it is it's not the same it is not the same not the same alien yeah all right fuck off you're yes. done but the, the mythosaur is this it's the skull that has become the totem for the mandalorians because that apparently is their holy That's their symbol right um why couldn't it have been the big dinosaur that the cartoon boba fett hits he's like shut up you why don't you give me the salads yeah the one person they're never going to call for a Star Wars show is the guy that was just like, those Death Star contractors, man. Blah, blah, blah. Except that's what fucking Andor is, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's all that conversation. I saw Tony Gilroy actually said, he was like, remember that conversation in Clerks? And I was like, <gasps> I feel so seen. I, Star Wars influenced me, and then I, inadvertently, I influenced fucking Star Wars. It's a, it's a causal loop. Yeah. Um, and episode three of Mando that is... That I fucking love. I mean, look, I like the first two episodes, um, but the third one was a real big departure because it looked like it opens with like, hey, previously on, on Mando, like the shit that just happened. And then they fuck off. And then it just becomes a show about the one Imperial guy who was in the first season. 
Right. The doctor who was working on cloning, Dr. Pershing, who wanted, Dr. Pershing, who wanted Grogu's blood to recreate something that we never knew. To cure the clickers from The Last of Us. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it then becomes like it's very much like a, hey, we could do Andor shit too on Mandalorian, can't we? I guess so. So here's 25, 30 minutes of just this little story about this guy being repatriated back into, into the new public society, the is amnesty. It, the amnesty uh, project or something right. like that. The idea is these are Imperials that with the new republic, they were like, well, you know, just because you were a part of it doesn't mean you were necessarily bad. So we're going to put you into this program and make you new republic citizens. Yes, sort of recondition the empire out of you and make you rehabilitate you back into cool, society. A very cool idea. Super cool idea. And so basically it's a story about entrapment where young Dr. Pershing is like meets this young woman who was also, I think, on, on Moff Gideon's ship. Yeah, right? she was on Moff season, Gideon, season one or two. Season, season two, two, I think, where she was a Gideon flunky. And, uh, and I saw she was on the previously they showed her. I was like, I remember her. Yeah, kind of. And uh, <laughs> maybe I, I think she was on the show. I forgot because Luke Skywalker showed up. Right. So she's just tempting him to be like, don't you want to do what you used to do? Couldn't that be a good thing for the new republic? Like I did cloning and nobody wants cloning. But you could be happy. You could contribute. You could do this stuff. So she's kind of fucking honey trapping him into stealing some shit from an old imperial ship. And she's the one who not even like drops dime on him. She's part of a program to suss out um, unfaithful amnesty people who are now going to act against the New Republic. Is that what you got from it? Like she's working for the New she's Republic? She's like 21 Jump Street, for real. Like she's like, I'm going to go into this high school, I'm going to sell that kid some weed, and then I'm going <laughs> to fucking tell her, he's the kid I bought the weed from, he's going to bring me to his deal, right? Yes, no, maybe so, not sure. I didn't get that. I thought maybe she was just like still imperial or, you know, still kind of like, fuck this guy because he fucked us over. But I didn't. Uh, you, your take on it was she works for the New Republic, hundred percent. Because right? when the cops show up, she just literally like stands from next to him to next to the New Republic guys, like right. he's your man. I didn't get that. I'm so not smart. Yeah. What's up, Ernie? Ernie needs one second. Hey, is there Mike Baker in the audience? Mike Baker, head out to the lobby real quick. We got something uh, going on that requires your attention. Can you fly a plane? Everything went so fucking quiet. <laughs> um, okay, back to the yes, back to Mando. Um, so, like, I I dug it, but I don't know. It's like fucking Mando is such a weird show, in that sometimes. They will tell you stories that are very crucial to the Mandalorian narrative mm -hmm. in other TV shows. Like there's, there's two episodes of Boba Fett that have nothing to do with Boba Fett. Right. That are entirely about fucking Mandu and Grogu and Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano and do not connect at all with the Boba Fett story. It's like, fuck it, let's just bury it in the show. Wait, which show did Luke show up on? He shows up in season two finale of Mando. That was where he like fucking. That's when he destroys everybody. The, the greatest, one of the greatest scenes in Star Wars history. Absolutely. But what was the, oh, it was when we catch up with him and he's training Grogu. Right. That was on Boba Fett. Yeah. You know, and so it's like Mando's got the dark saber, wants to get back into the fucking hood with the, the other Mandos. And it's like, well, you got a fucking, did you take your helmet off? Like, yeah, well, you got to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Mena fucking okay. Mandaloria. <laughs> and, uh, 
And he was like, yeah, but make this fucking armor. I shouldn't have a Beskar spear because that's not a weapon of a fucking Mando. Make my little tiny cute armor for love, little baby buddy. Can you make me somebody, please? And so she's like, fuck it. I will make this giant spear into the cutest little bit of armor that you've ever seen. Which he hasn't worn yet, has he? He did. He wears it in the end of in Boba Fett. In Boba Fett. Because it's under his clothes. It's very fucking Hobbit mythical. So is he always wearing it? Is that the idea? I, I guess. I don't know if fucking Grogu's ever take off their clothes. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me see that Yoda dick. Um, I enjoyed that part of the On episode. the glass, put them. <laughs> what was it, too, where like he has to go get Bo-Katan and he runs and jumps into the ship and he just points to the screen? Yeah. And R5 is just like, I guess. All right, we'll go there. <laughs> Which is so, what a stretch, man. Like, you're an astromech droid, and you're trained to, like, do your gig, and then, like, this little creature comes in, doesn't tell you what to do, just points at a screen, and you're like, should I listen to him or the other guy who won't take off his helmet? Like, fuck both of these people. Um, but, like, I, I dug it, but it's just, it's a weird digression, unless what's going to happen is Dr. Pershing is going to be the dude who eventually reclones Palpatine. Like, that's how Palpatine somehow returns. Is that... I said, I'm just, that's just a guess. That's just a guess. I love your version of Star Wars. <laughs> um, that would be cool. That'd be a way to like uh, retcon it and make it kind of badass. I mean, it seems like. It looked like they fried his fucking brain. Oh, Bamf, Bamf. Um, yes. I, uh, I will also jump in and say the next Disney Plus series coming up is Ahsoka, in which Grand Emerald Thrawn is known to play a big role. And Grand Emerald Thrawn's whole thing in the books was cloning so it could also tie into everything we're about to find out in the ahsoka series if uh dave filoni who created ahsoka and is a proud lover of the expanded universe actually goes that direction which i would bet on proud lover eh also did you guys see online that the in episode one that shard of kryptonite or whatever that has the inscription on it in mando the green rock um that was translated and it is um from a bible verse in book of exodus part of exodus 10 colon 5-6 about the plague of locusts and the jews fleeing egypt and a lot of people are drawing parallels between uh, the Mandalorian and the Jewish faith and his journey through to what, you know, Old Testament type stuff, which is really super interesting. I'm not going to speak on it because I'm ignorant. Also, I don't know that a guy named Riefenberg should be talking about the Jewish faith. <laughs> But good fucking looking out, man. Fucking give it up for Banff, man. Always fucking yeah. way more Star Wars than the rest of us. I was hoping it was going to be some fucking Ezekiel shit. Like the path yeah. of the righteous is set upon. Yeah, he's like, we translated it. It's from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I, I remain a person who's going to watch Mandalorian. Um, I'm just constantly puzzled by some of the storytelling choices. Even if like, oh, it's cool. Just why is this in this show? Like, if that's going to be that segment that leads into fucking the Ahsoka show, why is it in the Ahsoka show? What? Like, and I get the trying to build a universe that is all cohesive and all kind of webbed together. But the same token, like, there are just some people who want to watch Mando and, like, did not want to have to, because I remember showing my wife, was like, I want to watch Mandalorian season three. Okay, first, 
we got to watch these three episodes of fucking Boba Fett. Like, why? I don't know, but you do. <laughs> and so we did. And I'm like, why are these fucking here? I'm going to make one more play for the fact that uh, who's the Imperial? What's her? Anybody know the characters? Banff Man, what's the name of the character that uh, was the double agent, the 21 Jump Street? Banff. Uh, I have not seen all of episode three yet. I fell asleep because I was watching last what (laughs) yeah tell him why you fell asleep he's working real hard man tell him why uh i was at south by southwest all week and then i um uh jen went to portland for a little mini mom vacation and uh so i was taking care of the kid and uh and i had to choose between watching binge watching the last of us the last four episodes of that before the show or mandalorian and i decided oh to star wars lost to the guy with the star wars bar <laughs> sorry space, not star wars space theme yeah. space, the- space bar. theme bar um i mean it's kind of the same show in a way i just wanted to see pedro pascal yeah, I mean, literally they should have the same star um, I'm gonna make a play though for um, in in episode three, like uh, that character talks about like going to the decommissioned imperial ships, and that's where she got like fucking cookies that he likes. Yeah, fucking uh, Belvita, fucking imperial biscuits and shit. <laughs> and so at the end of the episode, when she turned, when she, because that's the other thing, I don't think she works for the New Republic, or she's like pretending she works for the new republic what my read of it was she was still deeply imperial because the one republic guy walks away and then she dials up dr pershing's thing to free to fry his brain and then eats one of those imperial biscuits which i got her to i i took it to mean that like oh i'm imperial all the way see i don't think that either those don't have to be mutually exclusive true i think she could still be a new republic stooge who is still secretly loyal to the to the yeah yeah, yeah but i think more imperial than new republic like just playing it low uh, low key until the rise of the empire again that's what i read from it. it was just like oh i'm imperial all the way i'm eating these fucking yeah. biscuits these are the same biscuits <laughs> darth vader would have eaten if he ever took his fucking mask off and shit <laughs> um is that it all for mandalorian that's all for mandalorian uh give it up for the mandalorian chat kids i do have a little bit of star wars news though oh really yeah and it's just it's my personal star wars news i uh i wrote a star wars comic book are you serious yeah for dark horse or for marvel Marvel. for marvel yeah they reached out and they have this this darth vader uh black white and red miniseries that they're doing and uh they're like do you want to write a darth vader story i was like fuck yeah i want to write a darth vader story and so it's coming out in june i think but they just the solicits went out last week so i don't have to keep a secret anymore Look at that shit, man. Yeah. That's impressive. It is the closest I've come to having my name in that blue type on a, on a black star field. There are two hosts of Fat Man Beyond, and one of them has been talking about Star Wars in his movies for 30 <laughs> fucking years. And they're like, let's ask the other guy to write a comic book. Uh, Mark is also a comic book writer, and that's what uh, we should point out, too. If you're in the New Jersey area, the metropolitan area, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or anywhere on the East Coast, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, mm-hmm. Mark is going to Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash, and he's signing uh, Adora in the Distance, his book that he wrote, as well as anything else you put in front of him and stuff. Um, so come on out, man. That's free as fuck. It's from noon till when? Noon to three. 
noon till three tomorrow, Jane Sambop's Secret Sash. How many people in the audience are going to that? Then I'll see you all tomorrow. Yes. Fucking leave now. <laughs> um, holy shit, man. So, like, is it considered, will it be considered canon? Uh, I, I think so. Really? I think so. So there's a chance that one day down the road, like, they'll rip your shit off for a Mandalorian or something like that. All I want is one character who's got a name to be in something else. That happened to me this week, oddly enough. Uh, there's a show, Superman and Lois. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, at, on the show, they included the character of Anna Metapia that me and Phil Hester created nice. for the, in Green Arrow and, and rolled it into Batman. And... Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the same exact version. It, it may be a gender swapped version. And it also looks like it was a weird flex to bring into the Superman universe because my version of that character was just a serial killer who just spoke in onomatopoetics, poetics, would just say blam and then shoot you in the face and stuff. It looks like they're using the character as more super powered and it's an oral thing, A-U-R-A-L. Mm. Um, but it was crazy to fucking see that in the episode i was just watching the episode and all of a sudden i was like what the fuck so where's instantly, my check instantly that's the fucking first <laughs> thing i thought i was like oh my god i'm finally gonna be rich and uh i reached out to phil hester and i was like hey man fucking onomatopoeia is on fucking superman and lois we could fucking retire is it isn't there a form because there's a form that you got to fill out and send in I think it's for both dc and marvel that whenever they use like a character that you've created for the comics in other media you get a piece of like the the character for all time if they make merchandise or anything like that so i was like phil we're gonna be rich and phil goes i had two characters on arrow for years and i never made he goes i made 65 dollars so but that's 65 is gonna be the sweetest money i ever spent man but it looks like the character is gonna be ongoing uh which is kind of cool and it was cool to see like they did a version of the mask which looked like the the fucking mask awesome. and stuff it was kind of dope um, all right, where do we want to go next? Uh, let's see. Time for news? Time. We could do news. We can talk about... Look at you. You wrote shit down. Well I, I, yeah, man. Prepared. And everything. Have you seen any of History of the World Part 2 yet? No. I saw, of course, History of the World Part 1 in this theater when I was a kid. <laughs> My parents brought me to it and stuff and fucking like had a hard time explaining the erection joke. Mm -hmm. uh, with the eunuchs and whatnot. First, they had to explain eunuchs, and then they had to explain why one of the eunuchs got hard. Oh, then they fun had to explain the Smith House. Oh my God, absolutely! <laughs> uh, but they did sequelize it recently, and it's on Hulu. Is that it's it? It's on Hulu. I think it's like ten episodes long. Is Mel Brooks involved? He uh, he is apparently. He's he introduces every episode, and he's the kind of the voiceover artist who introduces each segment. And it's fucking it's rapid fire. They do not spend much time at all in anything. So it's like, hey, we're gonna do Noah for five minutes. And then now we're going to do this World War II story. And now we're going to do fucking the dude who invents the phone. And now we're going to do, it just, it churns. And like, not everything is funny, but if they throw enough shit at you, like half of it is, and if it comes at you fast enough, it feels pretty good. Um, I'm enjoying it. Are you really having a good time with I'm it? I'm having a good time with it because it's dumb shit done well. <laughs> and the cast is ridiculous. Like, because. Who do they got? I mean, Seth Rogen is playing fucking Noah. Like, oh, Quinta Brunson is in it. Um, who else did I say? I mean, Nick Kroll is the kind of the, the dude who's kind of masterminding it. So he's in like every third sketch. Masterminding meaning he's one of the writers? He's one of the writers, executive producers, showrunners of it. That's crazy. So do you yeah. think it came down to him going like, I've always wanted to see part two? 
I think some of it was Mel, and I think some of it was 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 Nick and I. Ike Barinholtz also apparently is like one of those guys, and right. Wanda Sykes. I think they're the three who were the ones who were like, "Let's fucking do this." And Mel was like, "Yeah, let's fucking do this." How many episodes? I think it's ten. And how many have you seen so far? I've seen four, and f- worth watching. Yeah, because it goes down super fucking easy. How long are each episode? Twenty-eight minutes. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Fucking hey. Yeah, man, it's good times. Um, there it is, man. A show worth checking out: History of the World Part yes. Two. That only took fucking forty years. <laughs> Sure, part three will come 30 years later. <laughs> yes. That means there's hope for like Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime Syndicate. Uh, you tell me, sir, if there's yeah. hope. <laughs> Not on my watch. Um, what else you got? Should we do some news? Fuck yeah, man. We're about to jump into the news kids, Mark Bernardin, before he was writing fucking Star Wars comics and shit, uh, was an old uh, news hound, man. He came from the world of news. Entertainment Weekly, The Hollywood Reporter, Playboy. Playboy. Yeah, a lot of news in that magazine, I'm told. Um, But uh, every once in a while, those journalistic instincts kick in, and so now is one of those times. Here now with the news is Mark Bernard, and give it up for Mark. In what might have been the worst kept secret in Hollywood, uh, James Gunn is directing his Superman movie. That came out this week. That came out this week. He had, there had been a leak. I think like Tom King went on some podcast and mentioned that James was directing it. And then that episode of the podcast went down. Warner Brothers scrubbed it from the internet only for James to come out like four days later and be like, yeah, all right, I'm directing Superman. Um, it's called Superman Legacy. Superman Legacy coming out July 11th, 2025. He put up a tweet that I saw that was really kind of uh, uh, sentimental as fuck. Where it, it, what is it? What's the date? It's, uh, yeah, it's July 11th, 2025. And his brother wrote to him and said, Yeah, so that's- like my brother Matt said when he saw the release date, this is just, I copied and pasted from his mm-hmm. tweet. It's like, dude, uh, when, he, when he, he saw the release date, he started to cry. And I asked him why. He said, dude, that's dad's birthday. Oh, I hadn't man, realized. Awesome. It's been a long road to this point. I was offered Superman years ago. I initially said no because I didn't have a way in that felt unique and fun and emotionally gave Superman the dignity he deserved. Then a bit less than a year later, a bit, a bit yet less than a year ago, I saw a way in. In many ways centering around his Superman's heritage, how both his arist- aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas farmer parents inform who he is and the choices he makes. So I chose to finally take on writing the script, but I was hesitant to direct, despite the constant pestering by Peter Safran and others to commit. Just because I write something doesn't mean that I feel it in my bones, visually and emotionally, enough to spend over two years directing it, especially not something of this magnitude. But the long and the short of it is, I love the script, and I'm incredibly excited as we begin this journey. Good for him, man. I mean, James is crazy fucking talented. Definitely one of the best of us. Certainly not the last of us. Um, <laughs> But that's really that's really fucking sweet, man. You know, James is known for like weirder stuff, and to see him taking on an American icon, I'm curious to see what he does with it. Is there any word like I heard that it it's not Clark Kent? It may be Jonathan Kent. Did you hear that, or is that a dream I had? Uh, it might be a dream you had. Fuck. Um, yeah, I mean, counts as news on the internet. <laughs> the dream that I had. <laughs> Silent Bob had a dream. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, all that they've said about the Superman is that he's a younger Superman, probably in his twenties as opposed to an older one in his 40s, mm-hmm. um, which is part of what precipitated the casting of Henry Cavill, the recasting, the recasting of Henry Cavill. Of Henry Cavill. Um, but that's fucking exciting. You're right. He's, a, he's an extraordinarily talented filmmaker, and I think he knows the mission brief, which is you got to make a fucking Superman. You're not going to make like dick joke Superman. you got to make fucking Superman. Right. And what that means um, in this day and age. And so like, I'm fucking curious, man. 
if there's a job opening for dick joke Superman, I would really love to throw my hat into the ring. Um, that's uh, awesome. I can't wait to see. I mean, look, it's they're, they're doing a wonderful version of Superman uh, with Superman and Lois. And I say that because they included onomatopoeia. Um, but it'll be nice to see Superman uh, back on the big screen. I, I loved what Henry Cavill did when they dropped that Flash trailer, I guess, during the Super Bowl. Um, and they showed the Zod. I was like, holy fuck, man. Like, I, for some reason, I knew, like, I'd read Michael Shannon was in it. But then when I saw him in the trailer, I was like, this is fucking genius. And it made me go back and watch Man of Steel again. And I really had, like, uh, I appreciated it the first time around. But a newfound appreciation for what he did with the character. Uh, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm an old school Superman fan. Uh, it's, I love Batman to death. But Batman is like a child's wish, right? Like, and also the realistic superhero that we could all aspire to be. Because... It doesn't, he doesn't have superpowers or anything. You just have to watch your parents die in an alleyway and then mm. have a lot of money and you could be Batman and stuff. But uh, Superman... And refuse therapy at every time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you sure you don't want to see a therapist? No. The uh, voice is interesting for a 12-year-old. <laughs> yes. Uh, Superman, though, of course, like the very first uh, superhero, um, you know, always stands for something bigger and, and better. It's the thing you could never be, the ideal... Um, I, within the last six months at one point, like I was defending, um, actions that I took with Jordan, uh, who runs our company, uh, Jason Muse's wife, Jordan Monsanto. And I was like, well, I can't just like do nothing, man. Because like Superman, that's what he does. He wouldn't sit there and listen. She was saying like, you can't just sit with somebody's pain. She's like, you and Jason are the exact same, um, Jason Muse. And she was like, and I said, well, we both came from Highlands. It must be in the water. And she goes, you, neither of you could sit with someone's pain like you feel the need to do something she's like in jason's case they got an eight-year-old daughter logan and whenever logan cries about something jason will turn the world upside down to stop her from crying he'll do fucking anything and she's like if you would just wait five minutes she's eight like <laughs> five minutes from now it won't bother her whatever fucking bothers her and she's like you're the exact same way and i was like no man well i was like 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 fucking i do you think Superman would sit there with somebody's pain? Of course, like he would want to help and do something. And she's like, Kevin, Superman's not real. <laughs> like that's what makes him so wonderful as a character is he's an ideal we'll never reach for and stuff. So I look forward to see what James does with that character. Think of all the heart that he brought to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which when first announced, it was just like, they're doing that, Marvel's over and shit. And yet he found a way to bring incredible heart to those first two movies, and it looks like from the trailer for the third one, even more heart to the fucking third episode. So I can't wait to see what he does with Superman. Uh, you know, pun intended, he will make Superman soar. I have utmost confidence in that. Will I believe the man can fly? Yeah. No. Yeah, we will. That was a great marketing campaign, man. Like, that, can you imagine, like, there was a simpler time in 19, I guess, 78 was when Superman mm -hmm. came out, where that was the, they built the whole marketing campaign and said, you will believe a man can fly, based on the fact that their flying effects we're going to look cool. And, and now today, of course, the standard's much higher. James won't get away with like, you will believe a man can fly. Like, I believe that shit on CW. You know, fucking <laughs> bring something more to the table. But I'm sure he'll bring something more to the table. But what a weird life it must be, like as Guardians of the Galaxy is preparing to come out, to still be like, yeah, I got to wrap up my Marvel life before I start this whole DC life. And I'm sure, you know, there's no, like with the audience and fans and whatnot, they've, there's like, they, it must be, uh, you know, fucking a, a, an inner struggle, a combat between the two. 
I don't think so at all. I think this is a guy who just loves fucking comic books and stuff. So he's wrapping up his tenure in one universe and then starting another. I look forward to see what he does with Superman. Yeah, I mean, most comic book fans, at least the ones that I know today, are not, they're somewhat agnostic about where the comics come from. Mm. You know, there had been some allegiance back in the days. So you Marvel, you DC, so you fucking Beatles and Rolling Stones. But not so much anymore. No. Like, it's just, do you like comics? Yeah. Do you like good comics? Sometimes. Like, then, all right, you can come sit by me. That's fine. I like that. Um, elsewhere, yes. did uh, anybody like the Willow show that was on uh, Disney Plus? Did anybody see the Willow show that was on Disney Plus? She loved it. Well, you're not getting any more. <laughs> Is that right? They're not doing it again? No. They, was it a one and done series, or was there like well, a. No, they had plans for a second season. A Willowverse? Uh, well, I don't know if it's as much Willowverse as just more Willow. Um, but they, they've since pruned Willow. Is that right? Yes. Another casualty of the streaming wars. There will be no second season of Willow, uh, Disney Plus's live-action original series based on the 1998 fa- fantasy film directed by Ron Howard. Um, comes two months after the eight-episode first season premiered. Uh, it did not. I don't think it ever broke the top ten in the streaming. Uh, I didn't even ready. know it came out. When did it, when did it first start airing? Um, I think. Where are we now? This is, we're in March, so I think it was like December. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah. And I have Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it got pretty decent reviews, but I just don't think that, that ultimately there was an audience that was clamoring for it. It's the same thing for Theatrical Willow when it came out. Like, you know, it got an okay reception, but it wasn't, it, it, it didn't go huge. And, and I've never met somebody who's like, I fucking die for Willow. So I was shocked when they said, we're going back. Did Ron Howard do it or no? Uh, no, uh, Jake Kasdan did it. Um, and I think Lawrence might have had uh, something to do with the script for the first Willow, and so he came back and, and was the showrunner for the second, the Willow TV series. Mm. But I just guess that, that Disney is beginning to, under the new leadership of the old guy, Bob Iger, re-examine what they're spending their money on. Um, because it's like that's a lot of money for a TV show that either not many people were asking for, I'm sorry, um, or <laughs> very many people watched. And so, and you know, show like that shooting overseas for fucking however long it's just like a hundred million dollar TV show. And that's a lot of money to spend on something that gets you no new subscribers and they can't actually sell and won't sell any merch for. And I think that that's sort of part of the new wave of Disney is, can we make money on this? They've said the same thing. Bob Iger, I think somewhere talked about like, we're going to re-examine Marvel as well. And Star Wars in terms of like how much quantity that they're putting out there. Um, I guess, you know, obviously they weren't happy with the returns on Quantumania, so I don't know how that affects the Marvel Universe going forward if they slow that down a little bit, like they've slowed down Star Wars. Mm. Like they just announced, what, last week or two weeks ago, the movie, like they, the Patty Jenkins Star Wars movie is never happening. Right. The Kevin Feige Star Wars movie is apparently now never happening, and the one that they're holding on to is whatever Taika Waititi's doing. They right. got rid of the Benioff and Weiss Star Wars thing. Like they at the end of, of Game of Thrones, they were like, "These guys are doing Star Wars," and they're like, "Nope, not so much." Yeah, I think Damon Lindelof is still co-writing a Star Wars movie, but there's been no word of what that is or when it's coming. Mm. They seem to be very much more invested in TV, and even they're beginning to sort of pull back a little bit do you think that you know i know they look i've loved watching the mandalorian i loved watching uh, boba fett and whatnot do you think if you're getting it at home for on disney plus that maybe it's you're just like yeah i'm I'm star wars out you think it has that effect on the theatrical versions i think it might but 
the only way they really make money on it is if it's a movie. Is that what do you mean? Explain. Because you've already at this point, if you were going to subscribe to Disney Plus, you subscribe to Disney Plus, right? And they're getting your eleven ninety nine or whatever it is that costs already. So by putting out Skeleton Crew or putting out a soak or whatever that is, there's not a new audience who's suddenly like, "That's the one I was here for." Yeah, like fucking nobody's like, "Sign and or now I'm fucking on board." Yeah. You rang my bell, motherfuckers. Here's my money. I don't think that's the case. So they can't really make new money off of spending. $90 million on a new Star Wars show, whereas if they make one movie, that's $600 million of box office potentially yeah. that they get to make. And so I think there's going to be a bit of a shift back into movies for Star Wars and a slowdown on Star Wars series because it's, it's, you're preaching to the choir at this point. It's weird because this is a world I always dreamed of, right? Where it's like more Star Wars, more Marvel, more fucking everything. And now there's so much that like I, I haven't caught up on all of it. It's Maybe hard to I'm be part of the problem. You are, Kev. Fuck. Um, it's, just, it's hard to be nostalgic for a thing you get all the time. And True. Star Wars is a nostalgia-driven enterprise. And if I don't ever get a chance to miss it, then how do I hunger for it? That's true. Like between the end of Return of the Jedi and like, you know, not counting Ewok movies on TV and stuff, what was the next thing they did? The re-releases in like the 90s? Yeah. So it was like 14, like 15 years later, and there was like all this fervency of like, I remember Star Wars was a thing that was done. When Disney bought Star Wars, I, my first thought was like, how weird. Why would you spend billions of dollars on a movies that are done and you would never make another one of? Because I have no vision whatsoever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to make Star Wars. We're going to give you more fucking Star Wars than you could shake a stick at or a lightsaber. And now it seems to be biting them a bit in the ass. Yeah. I mean, I think, and some of that was also that when we were in a pandemic, the only thing that people could do was watch shit on streamers, mm. right? So that was, and the only way you could judge a company's health was by the number of subscribers they had for their streamers. So everybody just poured money into it. And then the world opened back up again, and maybe people stopped watching as much on streamers. And then people were going back to the movies and spending money again. And they've already spent the money they were going to spend on Star Wars. Apparently the season premiere, I don't know how they do ratings now in this world with digital, but there's one site that is able to do a kind of Nielsen-like rating version of what's going on like in the world of streaming. But according to that site, which you know, I, I, again isn't like the network reporting it, but they said that the season premiere of Mandalorian was down by like a million or something like that. Didn't have as many people as Obi-Wan Kenobi had. Um, and didn't have as much even as Boba Fett. So, yeah, I don't I, It seemed like when you first started watching The Mandalorian, it's like, oh my God, they'll be doing this for 40 years straight. Because even if Pedro Pascal's not doing it, it's John Wayne's grandson. It could be his <laughs> great grandson as well. But it might be that they, rain, they pull the reins in on that as well. Maybe we get a lot less Mandalorian than we thought we were ever going to get. Could be. Maybe they, they decide that there's an ending to this story. Yeah. Against their will. They're like, Against you know, end will. this shit. Yeah, come on, bring it, bring it home. I thought we'd watch Grogu grow up and become a teenager and fucking an adult and shit, but that motherfucker still can't talk. Did you? Did you? Amy Sedaris in episode two was like, "He said my name," but I, I think she was just making yeah. a joke, right? And also, I did we talk about the fact that apparently he was Grogu was training with Luke for two years. Is that how long it was? According to, to Favs, that's how long that he's with Luke. The show doesn't tell you that. It feels like it's like next thursday yeah, yeah. the fucking man was like i missed that little son of a bitch let me go get him back no that was two years worth of story time Where, and he, what happened in those two years he didn't learn to speak <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck 
Not even backwards or broken like Yoda. Yeah, like you got to get the kid a speech I can or anything like that. Um, what else we got? Um, remember there was, a, there was a Batman television program that uh, Bruce Tim and Ed Brubaker were doing for Warner Brothers? Wasn't was that the one that uh, were you? I had a little something to do with it. Um, so you remember. I remember quite well because they paid me money. Um, <laughs> but uh, HBO Max decided- $65? Oh, <laughs> I bought like six bags of Doritos with that one. <laughs> uh, but HBO Max decided they didn't want to air it, and so Warner Brothers Animation kept producing it, and so now uh, it's at Amazon. Amazon has ordered two seasons of Batman Caped Crusader. Oh, shit. So yeah. wait, is, are, is your episode... I mean, as far as I know, they haven't told me that I don't have an episode anymore. So you're gonna, the, your screenplay will be produced? Yeah, I think it, it's already in the works. Because they never stopped producing it. Like Warner Brothers Animation. Right, nice. Give it up for Mark. Um, it, yeah, back when the, you know, HBO Max began and the streaming wars were in their earnest, everybody took their IP in-house. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're not fucking selling this anymore to other people. Model always used to be like, you know, you could make a thing, sell it to somebody else. Warner Brothers didn't necessarily have to put it out. They could be the producers of it, but like it could air other places. And now it's, you know, after the constriction, it feels like they're going back to the old model because what they realize is like, we make a lot more money selling our shit to other people rather than just putting it on our channel. Because to, to your point, anybody who wants that thing is probably already getting that thing. Right. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's odd to imagine a world in which Batman is airing on a non-Warner Brothers uh, outlet, but they got to make that fucking money. They're looking for that fucking Bezos money right there, man. <laughs> the only person who could afford billionaire ba Bruce Wayne is fucking Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Zillionaire Jeff Bezos. And for Amazon, it's super smart because now they can sell a bunch of Batman merch using a new cartoon. Because if you ever watch something on Amazon, the X-ray feature pops up. And they can just drive you right to their store where it's like, hey, you want to buy some Batman comic books? You want to buy some Batman merch? You want to buy some shirts and fucking slippers, underoos, whatever? We got two seasons of this show. Do they do that with their shows ready? They, sometimes, yeah. Like I've been Like pushed. you could watch the, the Man in the High Tower or whatever, and they're like, buy these paper towels just like he uses. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, less, it's less, yeah, or don't buy laundry detergent while you're watching Handmaid's Tale. But, <laughs> but I think that they could sell you Batman shit. I think they also have uh, gotten the rights to the original Batman, the animated series. So now they have a Batman fucking suite that they could. What, Amazon Prime did? Yeah. So that's no longer on. I don't H think it's exclusive to HBO Max anymore. Wow. So now they can be the home of all things Batman. Fair enough. They're not wow. fucking around. The business has changed right in front of our eyes and then changed again back right in front of our eyes. Indeed. Uh, I have two more stories, one of which I think you'll like, and one of which is a, is a bit of a sad bit of news that broke today. Uh, the first one, it's a little old also, is that uh, your boy, John Bernthal, is back. Can't protect her, Rick. Can't look protect her, but I'm coming to Disney Plus, Rick. <laughs> He's back as the Punisher in the new Daredevil, Daredevil Born series. Again. Um, I'm all for it. He was absolutely wonderful in the Netflix version, uh, but it's going to be weird to be like, Disney's Punisher. <laughs> He's mad, but not that mad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be like the Terminator in T2. Just lots of fucking like, just wing him. Yeah. I, I kill him so much. Just fucking wound him. Um, what is the, uh, he's on the Daredevil proper show. Yes. 
What? All right. I mean, I'm all for it. I just, how hard can Disney Plus go? What's the hardest they've gone? Do they have an R-rated equivalent or anything? Um, I mean, they have the rights to all of the old Netflix stuff that they now have. They're hosting on Disney Plus. Um, I don't know how hard this show is going to go. I think it's got a very legal emphasis. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And Deadpool 3 is going to be a Disney release. So, and they're not fucking around with that. Like, that's an R-rated movie. Like the other two. Like the other two. So. I guess we'll see. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I saw a number of people returning from uh, the Netflix show, except they didn't bring back Foggy and Karen yet. Not yet. yet. Anything's possible. Yeah, it's true. Um, And our last bit of news broke today, um, incredibly sad news, is Lance Reddick who played Sharon in all four John Wick movies. He was in The Wire, Fringe, Bosch, and a hundred other fucking things over the last 25 years. Passed away today. The guy from The Wire. The guy from The Wire. Really? 60 years old. In the middle of That's the- young. And he was always so healthy. Um, or he, looked, he looked healthy. Yeah, yeah. But he's 60 years old. He was in the middle of the John Wick 4 press tour, which is coming out next weekend, I think. Yeah, it's here. I'm sure we'll open with four people in the audience, but yes. <laughs> John Wick's coming out. Yeah. No, we expect that to actually be big. So he was out there doing press. He was out there doing press. Passed away. And passed away. And I mean, it says natural causes, but they're not providing any other details. And it's, I mean, it's still a developing story. He just passed away today. Oh my God. Um, But yeah, like, and he was in a bunch. You've heard his voice a thousand times. He was in uh, the Rick and Morty Vindicators episode as Ghost Train, right? The, The Ghost Train guy. Yeah. He was in the Mass Effect games. He was in the Destiny games. He was in... So great on Fringe, but yeah. It's amazing on The Wire. The Wire is, I mean, everybody who was on The Wire will always have The Wire as the shining thing on their resume. Yeah. To a certain degree, no matter what else they did, because it was, at least until Breaking Bad, the undisputed best show that had ever been on TV. Yeah. And even now, it's still a bit of a toss-up. But, you know, young dude who left his mark, 60 is far too fucking young. Way too young, man. Jeez. But, yeah. So, not to bring us down... Uh, for the end of the show, but we'll get to fucking Q&A and you guys will bring us back up again. But um, poor one out for Lance Reddick, who did a ton of fucking Give it up work. for Lance Reddick, kids. Um, there's uh, one more bit of news. That we, I, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, the cover story of The Hollywood Reporter, your alma mater, indeed, uh, this week is uh, Ben Affleck promoting uh, Air, his movie, which I've heard is amazing. I'm going to go see the premiere on the 27th. Um, but he did a very Ben Affleck type interview. I, one of the things I've always loved about Ben is how insanely fucking candid he is um and uh you know i'm always kind of open and forthright and stuff i'm sure i stole a bit of it from him early on uh because when he would like sit in front of the press he would just open up and he's so well read and so well spoken and stuff so this article provided a bunch of context for uh not just uh air the movie that he directed with with matt in it but um he talked about uh Justice League and Batman v Superman and stuff. Mm. And he talked about, um, they asked him like, hey, you're gonna, are you gonna direct? Like, cause I guess James Gunn had said like, Ben's not coming back as Batman, but like, he's talking about directing a thing. And he was like, no, like <laughs> flat out was like, no. And he was like, I've got nothing against James Gunn and whatnot, but he's like, I won't be doing that at all. Uh, he went hard in his dedication for Zack Snyder, 
he was just like, if if Zach ever returns to that, he's going, I'm ride or die with Zack Snyder. Uh, he loved Batman v Superman, but he talked about the Justice League experience and um, and what a like a, a trying beyond trying time for him. It, it was in his life in the piece. He talks about how when they were, you know, he, I don't know if he referenced Joss Whedon, but he referenced Joss Whedon without referencing Joss Whedon, perhaps by saying that there was a guy who was like, you know, hey, man, I know what the problem with this movie is. And if you give me 60 million bucks in two months, I can solve it for you. And he was like, he didn't. And he talked about being overseas for it. And that was where he lost his desire to direct a Batman movie or, or be involved in that area of the business. Now he seems to be going back in the direction of his Argo and Gone Baby Gone stuff. Mm. But he talked about like um, during the uh, experience of making Justice League or not making the original Justice League with Zach, which he pointed out is now retroactively his highest rated movie on IMDb. He's like, according to the IMDb, the best movie I ever made was Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> um, but he talked about while making the reshoots of Justice League with, uh, with uh, Whedon, that he got into a very despondent place. And he's very frank talking about his drinking. And he talked about like, it was either drink or jump out a fucking window. And that's some deep fucking shit right there, man. I mean, because people were like, how come Ben's not making that movie? And he told us flat out in the press. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful article worth reading because, again, he's always candid and really interesting and so well-spoken. But uh, I read that piece cover to cover. Number one, looking for a reference to me, and there was none. Um, <laughs> but number two, I just always love to follow his press because he, he does it differently than anybody else. And that, I thought, was incredibly soul-bearing. Uh, but, man, I would hate to be Joss Whedon today. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, or any day for yeah, that matter. He's, he's not having a great decade. No. Um, but my, my extent of my following Ben Affleck's press is when I discovered that he speaks fluent Spanish. Yeah. And so watching him do Spanish press and then seeing the interviewers be astonished that fucking, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, ben Affleck, huh? And just he's the just, complete package, man. He's honestly like I love being Kevin Smith, but the only person I would like to be in this life other than Kevin Smith is Ben Affleck. <laughs> I've always absolutely loved him. But yeah, he's so fucking smart. Like, you know, you got to remember his mom was like a, an English teacher and stuff. Mm. Um, but he's he never stops growing and changing and adding to the resume. Always surprising uh, to a lot of people, except those of us who've always known him. So when we were doing junkets for the movies we did, Whenever I wasn't doing an interview, like, you know, they've got this like kind of main control room where they've back in the day they had used to be like eight TVs and now it's probably laptops or something like that or one monitor with eight screens that are kind of embedded in. But I would always go to like mission control, they call it, just to sit there and watch his interviews. In a junket situation, you only get like five minutes with people, but he was never reticent or quiet. He would like treat each one like with it, with its own degree of enthusiasm um yeah he's one of my favorite people on the planet and not just because like i know him and he's a good guy but like even if i didn't know the guy i would always find him incredibly interesting as somebody who goes out there and works in this business is pretty candid about it um yeah that's i'm done blowing ben um <laughs> well not forever just here uh i'd like to meet him someday you never met him no how would i fucking met him I said maybe over the years or something like working at fucking THR or working at. I, I don't like interviewing famous people. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part. 
um, because did they give you that choice back in the day? I started as a critic. Like my, my first, I was an editor. And then when I decided to start writing for magazines, I wrote as a critic, video critic first, comic books, and then just movies in general. Um, but then as I began to, to, to move on in my career, I could then kind of cherry pick the kinds of things that I wanted to do. I really enjoyed editing stories, but every now and again, I wanted to talk to people, but they were almost always creators. I wanted to talk to writers or directors. Mm. I never really wanted to talk to actors because I, I didn't want to be part of whatever narrative that they were telling about the movie they were making. Right. Because unlike Ben, most of them are not candid about what they're doing. Right. Um, and so it just always felt, meh. and I never liked uh, the sound of my laugh listening to it on the tape back when I had to transcribe my own fucking interviews because every laugh to a famous person sounded like the fakest laugh I'd ever heard. I'm like, ah, next question. It's like, oh God, no. Is that That's really how you laugh at my fucking jokes, man. <laughs> <laughs> next question. You're a famous person. That's just what happens. Fuck. Um, but I think you were the first famous person that I ever interviewed um, for Entertainment Weekly. And it was the first time we ever met in, you know, not even person, this was over the phone. But it was like, oh, well, he's just fucking like one of us. He's, he makes a thing. You know, he's a creator, he's a writer, he's a director, like he's under the hood of this stuff. And so we were just talking about dumb superhero costumes, but at least it wasn't some exercise in narcissism or vanity or whatever. It was we kind of geeked out. We nerded out. Kind of do what we do here uh, every week and stuff. Yeah. And so there was an even, even playing field. I never had to struggle with, all right, Brad Pitt, tell me how difficult it was for you to make this movie again. Like, oh, shit, it was hard every morning waking up looking like Brad Pitt. <laughs> I, I can't empathize at all. Yeah, I never gave you that interview. <laughs> it's like, bro, you don't know what I got to go through. I, uh, I became uh, something of a go-to guy, too. Like, I remember first we talked, and then whenever you needed a geek quote, because there was a time before everyone was fluent geek and in comic book movies and shit, um, you would hit me up and be like, hey, do you have a quote for this? And I was like, why, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, but one of the sweetest things that Mark ever did for me was, uh, and I've talked about it before, but during the San Diego, San Diego Comic Con, I forget which year it was. This was the year right before, 2008. Mm -hmm. So it was when Zach, Zach Amiri was coming out. Um, Mark had a panel that was what, icons or? It was visionaries. Visionaries. Entertainment it. Weekly presents the visionaries. And he put it together a panel of, of, of visionaries to speak to. One of them was Zack Snyder, mm -hmm. who had Watchmen coming out. Yes. One of them was Frank Miller, who of course- you Had know, the spirit coming out. Yes, but also of course, you know. <laughs> but of course, you know, the author of Dark Knight Returns and inarguably the person who kind of reignited Batman amongst other things, and of course 300 and everything else. One of them was Judd Apatow, who was mm -hmm. like riding so fucking high at that point. And then Mark hit me up and he goes, do you want to be the other guy? And I was like, just to have one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and he was like, no, you're a visionary. And he put me on a panel, particularly at a time in my life where I was like feeling like really low and way out of the loop and stuff like that, um, which I'll never forget, man. I'm, I'm not like saying it saved my life, but it really did save my ego at that point to be able to sit up there in front of a Hall H with a bunch of cats who were busy and vital and stuff. And I was still just kind of being me and stuff. I, lo I love the version of that story that you tell because you're missing a, you continue to miss a crucial part of that, which is you were the first person I asked to be on that is panel. Is that right? And everybody else said yes because you had already committed to it. You're going to make me cry. Is that right? <laughs> That's 100% what happened. Oh my God. Like they, they, 
No. I always thought you were like, well, I can't get fucking anybody else. I'll call Kev and shit. No, you, you were the, the linchpin that mm -hmm. got Judd to say yes, that got Zach to say yes, and then Frank, I think, just showed up because was, I'm doing the spirit, and maybe there's, I don't know, food in the green room. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but no, that's, that's how that came together. Because everything is always, when you're asking, putting out an ask like that for, for Hollywood people to do a thing, they always want to know who's already doing the thing. Because nobody wants to be the first person to be there, because then it'll be like, hi, I'm Judd Apatow, and there's the guy who directed Critters 4. <laughs> um, but no, that's, that is 100% the way that went down, because they were like, oh, Kevin will be there? Great. It had one of my, uh, that afforded me one of my favorite moments in my career, because uh, when, when Judd exploded, Judd was, you know, I, you know, I was an R-rated comedy guy, and there was this working theory in my world of like, well, no R-rated comedy is ever going to make more than 30 million, because that's all my movies ever did was like 30 million. And then 40-year-old virgin knocked up, or movies that did way more than that and stuff. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, Judd Apatow is making, like, better Kevin Smith movies and making more money doing it. Fuck. So he was the king of R-rated comedy at that point. And so I was sitting next to him on that panel, and he, at one point, he was just like, well, I'm only getting to do what I do because Kevin Smith laid the track. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was everything I needed to hear in that moment. Uh, he's since moved way on from that and shit, but... <laughs> And forgotten that the tracks were ever laid, but it was a, a seminal moment in my fucking career, man. Wow, that's so. I didn't. I didn't. I, it's not like I forget that part of the story. I had no idea. I've I've told it before. Well, I used to be a stoner. I forgot a lot of things, Mark. And now I'll never. So forget. many potholes in the past. This <laughs> is very many. Um, wow. Oh shit. I don't know how I'm going to do the rest of the show. I feel so warm inside. Um, okay, we're done with the news. You're done with the news. Give it up for the news and Mark Menard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 10.30. Um, what time did we start? Uh, 8.30. 8.30. So, wow, we're two, uh, two hours into this. Banff, man, how are things going online with uh, chatter and whatnot? Banff. Uh, things online are good. We've got no uh, unruly people. Uh, people uh, are very angry with Mark for giving Last of Us an A- instead of an A+, which I think is funny. <laughs> Why? Because it wasn't like an A plus or just an A. Yeah, they think it's like the best show ever, and he—they're mad that Mark didn't love, uh, <laughs> didn't love it as much as they did. Mark, Even though Mark, Mark could save the world, and somebody would be like, "Yeah, but what about Mars, Mark?" Like, <laughs> a minus is a huge fucking grade. Seriously, guys, yeah. like Mark. <laughs> you gave it like a ninety-two, and they thought it should have been a ninety-seven. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I knocked him off the Dean's list with that eight minus. <laughs> so it's so awesome to sit next to you because you're always seen as the person that hates everything, and I'm always seen as the guy who loves fucking everything. I know, and I like a me. thing, but just not enough for Phil from Was Kansas. anyone mad at him for liking Shazam as much as he did? No. I don't know if anybody's seen no. Shazam, though. Like, nobody was talking about it in the chat. Mark is the first person right? in the U.S. to see Shazam. <laughs> First, and where do you see it? Not at Smodcastle, at fucking Cinemark. Man, I'm not going to live that down, am I? <laughs> no, actually, based on what you just told me, you can go to Cinemark for the rest of your fucking life. In fact, I'll pay for you to go to Cinemark. I'll buy your popcorn. Fuck out of here. 
Um, all right, so uh, that means we're moving on to the Q&A portion. We're moving on to the Q&A portion. Um, when we do this show uh, in uh, Hollywood at the Scum and Villainy Cantina with Bamf Man Live and whatnot, we always get to pull questions from the audience. When we do it uh, online, you know, for the home shows, of course, uh, JC pulls from the, the chat and stuff. But tonight, we're going to get to do it right here uh, with a live audience, just like we kind of do it at Scum and Villainy. Um, at Scum and Villainy, we usually stand people up against a wall and put a camera on them and stuff. So... We don't have a second camera and a wall, but if we pick you to do the question, I think you should come up here because otherwise we're going to have to repeat it and shit for everybody in the audience. So if you're going to ask a question, know that you're going to have to come up here in front of uh, the audience, which, as you've seen, it's a very friendly audience. It's only the online audience that gets mad if you give something an A minus. So uh, let's start the Q&A, kids. Fucking damn. Come on up here. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, stairs over on this side. This is Gina, everybody. Give it up for Gina. So I know you guys were talking about The Last of Us and it being obviously based off of a video game. Is there a video game that you would love to write as either a series or a film? Hmm. Great question. Give it up for Gina. Thank you, Gina start with you you seem to be way more of a gamer than i've ever been in my entire life i, I stopped playing games when atari went out of style and yeah so. um yeah once i don't think i've ever played a first person shooter game i'm a scroll guy you're a scroll guy and a hockey guy remember you were playing lots of yes, fucking EA sports. it's in the game <laughs> <laughs> um i think the the one that i'd want to do um with uh with a with a with a partner would be there was a game that came out i think mid-pandemic called Ghosts of Tsushima, which is ultimately, it's a samurai game, right? It's a, you're a, you're a, you're a wandering samurai who's got to avenge your, your dead father and you're traveling. Tsushima is this island uh, off the coast of Japan, which itself is an island. So it's, you know, it's a, it's an archipelago, I suppose. Um, is that how you pronounce that? Archipelago? Yeah. I just thought it was like archipelago. <laughs> But to be That's fair, when I went to Los Angeles for the first time, I was uh, after like clerks got picked up. Me and Scott Mosier went out together, and uh, he was like, "Where do we turn?" I was like, "We turn on Sepulveda," <laughs> and he was like, "He with such derision." I talked to him about it like last two weeks ago, which it was such derision in his voice because he'd been to Los Angeles many more times than me, and he was like, "Sepulveda." <laughs> I think Archie Pelego should be your like witness protection name. <laughs> yes, that's my porn name, Archie Pelego. <laughs> I've got a sausage delivery for you, man, from Archie Pelegos. Um, but no, it's it's a it's a gorgeous fucking game. How do you say it again? Uh, Archipelago. Is that does everyone agree with that? <laughs> I love that you're like I don't trust you, <laughs> sir. I'm going to ask these two hundred people. Who all had English, apparently. <laughs> Say it one more time. Archipelago. Archipelago. I got to remember that. Even when I read it, I read it phonetically. Well, I mean, I... <laughs> That's wrong, too, isn't it? I'm not a smart man. I'm clever, but I'm not smart. But it's, it's, everybody, I think, has those words that they encountered first in a book. Yes. And never heard it out loud. True. I honestly feel like you're the first person that ever said it out loud. I remember very distinctly encountering the word idiot in a, in a book, and I pronounced it a diote. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that's fucking dumb. And it's... 
And it's perfect for the word. Yeah. Like, what did you say? A diote? Idiot. Like, you know what? I got to fucking record this. <laughs> Siri will tell you the same thing, though. But it's just for my own future reference. All right, this is my voice memo. Say it again. Archipelago. Archipelago. <laughs> Let me just play it back, make sure it works. Did we just, like, trigger the Winter Soldier or something? <laughs> Archipelago. 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 <laughs> it's going to be my ringtone. Um, okay, back to the yeah, game. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's this gorgeous story. It's just about revenge and about understanding who you are and about family loyalty. And, um, but it's a Kurosawa movie come to life. And so to do a, to do a show like that, to do a, a TV show like that, I, I, hey, it's been a long time since I've seen a really good samurai fucking TV show, which is part of the reason why I would want a partner to do it so I can mm -hmm. find somebody uh, who has way more of a connection to that particular culture. But I just fucking loved it. That game, that game in Last of Us Part Two, got me through like the first couple of months of lockdown because I was just in another place in time um, that was not this one, um, and just getting to look fucking hack and slash people to death because I had some pent up frustration. It takes a long time to play a video game nowadays, right? It's you know not the twenty of... minutes that Pitfall would take. No, no. Well, if you're good at Pitfall, you could play that. Yeah, shit I've for never hours made it to twenty minutes either. <laughs> Um, wait, so how long does it take to play that game? That game was in 18 hours, 18, 19 hours to finish the campaign. And when you do something like that, are you like, leave me alone for the next day until I finish the game? No, like I would pay, play it like, you know, hour clips, 90 minute clips. Sometimes it'd be up too late because I'm having too good of a time. But I can't marathon that shit because I just, my, my bladder isn't that big anymore. <laughs> um, so, so, but, and I just liked parceling it out. Like it's like a really good book that you don't want to just blast through that you kind of want to get to savor. Um, Last of Us games, Last of Us Part 2, I think, was like 30-some-odd hours. Part 1 is like 18 or 19 hours. Does the game, does something like The Last of Us change when you go play it again, or it's always the same It's story? always the same story. You're always on rails. Like, it has this feeling that you're in an open world that you could adventure and discover, but it will always bring you back to, here's the, here's the spine of the story we're telling. Kind of like that Dragon's Lair video game from the 80s <laughs> and shit. Yeah. They always made you feel like you put in a buck and shit and you hit the joystick once and then fucking die. And you're like, That's wait awesome. a second. It felt like they dictated the story, not you. Very much so. Um, because you can only build so much of that game. There are games that are open world that you can do anything in. Like the Assassin's Creed games are huge. So that you can like, yeah, there's a main story, but you could just spend fucking weeks just kind of discovering ancient Egypt. And yeah, I'm in Constantinople. This is cool. Never been here before. There was a pirate game, a pirate version of Assassin's Creed called Black Flag, where you could spend as long as you wanted to on the high seas destroying other pirate ships and plundering their booty. And, and not playing a plot game at all? Just At that point, you're just about the booty. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, Christian who's up in the booth for us, uh, Christian Cortez, he was, uh, last night, we were testing uh, Splinter here, and then... I came in later on after I walked Mark out to his car. And Christian, are you, you there? You got a mic? I'm here, Cap. What, what did you, I was watching this short film. I was like, what is this? And he goes, this is a short film I made. And it was incredibly fucking cinematic. There were like dolly shots and fucking crane moves. I was like, how did you fucking do this? How did you make that? I made it using Grand Theft Auto V. That's, nice. that's a thing? That's a very big thing. There's a whole community of people who love to do it. I'm I taught so myself how to do it. Old and ignorant. Like, 
is that so you can there's a function of the game where you just go make your own movie it literally has its own director mode so you can create characters you can make stories i mean you're limited by the pre-made animations in the game right but if you play your cards right and take the time to do it you can make something really cool and when did grand theft auto come out you said that's from number five when did this all begin uh, that came out in 2013, but I didn't start making movies with that until maybe a couple months ago. So this shit has existed for 10 years, and last night was the first time I heard that you can make a movie inside Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> confirmed. Yes, confirmed. Hate to break it to you, old man, but that's how they're rolling. Um, all right, so that's your answer? What's that's my answer. Ghosts of Tsushima. Uh, my answer is there was a Super... Uh, no, was it? No, it was a Sega Saturn game. Um, no, it wasn't even a Sega Saturn. It was Genesis? a Sega Genesis game called The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> I would totally make that fucking game. Oh my God, you got to be Rocky, you got to be Bullwinkle. Like, it was nuts. You got to do moose and squirrel shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, let's go to Banff Man, because I'm sure he's a gamer. Banff Man, you got a game that you would have liked to see make it into a movie yourself? Oh, weird, it didn't put me on. Huh. Yeah, you're oh, you're here. We could see There we you. go. Um, I think if I had to be real about it, I would say Legend of Zelda would be my number one, but I also think that NBA Jam would be really fun, like in a in a Looney Tunes kind of Space Jam way, NBA Jam. What is it? Is it like you could put together any team you want or something? It, it's two-on-two two basketball, but there were all these like power-ups and you could like the ball would catch on fire if you started like making a lot of shots in a row and it's just so endlessly playable and fun i think you could make a really fun like 90 minute comedy out of that like a cartoon fucking i i'll give it up for bam good job all right all right question number two where do we go you pick i'm picking uh that dude come on up join us what's your name captain markel, markel? come on up markel give it up for markel how you doing guys um so my question is um the show is called batman beyond uh based on obviously batman beyond so i was wondering if you guys uh fast forward into the future with your show and you could choose your own terry mcginnis you have to choose a male or female, or both, um, and you don't know them. So you can't choose somebody that you know. <laughs> I can't choose- Fucking great question, man. Give it up. <laughs> Who's your Terry McGinnis? And one I could get my head around because I have watched Batman Beyond. Ha ha. Uh, you go first, though. Why, you go first. Fuck. <laughs> All right, so I'm old Bruce Wayne. We're both old Bruce Wayne. But in the model of Batman, Be uh, Batman Beyond, we would have to be the old versions of us. Are we bitter and curmudgeonly like him? Or can we be happy in our old age? <laughs> so wait, am I, am I trying to pick a superhero? Am I picking somebody to start a podcast? And we can't know them. Because Bruce Wayne didn't know Terry. Although, as we found out at the end of the show, he made Terry. So by virtue of that, I guess Harley would be my, <laughs> my answer. Um, okay, so we got to pick somebody that presumably we don't know. Um, so does that mean 
somebody whose podcast that we saw or a celebrity oh ben affleck <laughs> because the press tour would be amazing and he'll he's just like cocoon he'll never get older and he'll never die um let me see who would i who would i pick but i can't know them oh wow fuck when you say we can't know them like do you mean biblically like we didn't fuck them or because i would pick christian man christian's like so knowledgeable and shit somebody i don't personally know Banff. All right. Oh, I, fuck. <laughs> Saved I'll, by the band. <laughs> I'll save you guys some dead air. Um, to replace me on the show, I would choose the little girl from Ghostbusters Afterlife, McKenna Grace, because she seems so nerdy and that she would take the show technically to the next level. And Her she's... The actress who plays her. I, to, I don't know her. To me, they're one and the same. <laughs> So <laughs> she's also funny. She like tells bad dad jokes. And, like I like that. Fair enough. Look at that. A good answer. Um, thanks for stalling, but I didn't think of anything yet. <laughs> All right. I got one. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, Caleb McLaughlin, the, the black kid from Stranger Things. That is his last name, right? Um, I think he's a nerd. I think he's, he's deep in this particular scene. Um, I don't know if he podcasts or not, but clearly he knows how to use his voice, uh, can put on a show. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was either going to be him or it's going to be Alana Pierce. No, sorry. <laughs> because I know you now. You fucked it up. That's the monkey's paw of asking that question, Markel. So we can't do this now. Fuck. So somebody I don't know. No. Who wants to do it? <laughs> Isaac. Isaac uh, is here on his birthday. You came from where? Indiana? Indiana. And it's Isaac's birthday. Give it up for Isaac. <laughs> Isaac brought his wife and his, like, this is even more impressive, three fucking children of a young age. Four? You left one at the hotel. Fuck, man, you got, that's like heirs and spares right there. Um, so he brought three of them to see Flash Gordon and left, uh, I guess, the smallest one at the hotel. Wise choice. Um, uh, drove 15 hours with four small children in a car? 19 and a half hours with fucking four kids going, where are we going again? You're like to the shittiest movie theater on the planet. <laughs> with seats from the 80s uh, oh excellent point yeah you're Except a, you owe a guy who a wrote fuck. that fucking line sure. um let me see uh yeah I, I, i'm i'm fucking picking isaac but while we're on the subject yeah well done isaac um uh, while we're on the subject though of people who drove distances uh, whenever we do fat man beyond uh, back at the scum and villainy cantina i don't even know if Banff man knows this um you know right in, directly in front of us that's where the camera is there's a booth uh, where people always sit and jamie and shannon have been there like you know in the beginning i used to call it cat ears because she wore these fucking headphones that had cat ears on them and shit but they've been to like almost every live fat man beyond that we ever did at uh, the scum and villainy cantina and last night when we were doing streets of fire like 
we saw them in the audience and they're here tonight. Where are you kids sitting right now? Bam, right there. What's the name of the podcast you guys do? Married with television. Oh shit, I should, oh, I can't pick you because I know you guys. It's still you, Isaac. <laughs> uh, but they came out from uh, Los Angeles to be here, from Hollywood to actually be here and stuff. Who can't, yeah, give it up for them, man. Uh, who came uh, from far, let's, let's do this. How many people are, with a show of hands, are from like, you know, the tri-state area? Put your hands together. Thank you for coming, man. We're not discounting you at all. But who came far, like Indiana and Los Angeles? Where'd you come from? Anchorage, oh, Alaska? Shit. Oh, my God. Is it so weird to see that we have night and day here as well? <laughs> Were you in the area for something else? You did not just come for this, did you? He grew up in Delaware, but he's been living in Alaska since 2010. What brought you to Alaska, arguably the fucking Delaware of the North? <laughs> Air Force brought you out. Thank you for your service. Give it up for him. Wow, Alaska. Uh, all right, another more hands. Where, yes, right there. No, no, no. Sit the fuck down. Not the question. <laughs> We're asking where you came from, man. We're at that part of the show. From where? Close. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking for the frequent flyer winners here. Yeah, who's oh, go ahead? Austin, Texas, man. Is, and you came in just for this? Fucking a. Uh, um, you were holding up fucking signs. Do you still have your 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 signs? So, uh, what's your name again? Josh. Josh came in from Austin. Josh uh, on the that Kevin Smith Club on uh, when I was doing for a Red Hot Minute, um, the Amp Show uh, last month and whatnot. I was talking about, oh, we're doing uh, the Muppet movie. And he was like, I'm, I'm gonna, if I could smoke with you, I'll fucking come out from Austin. And I was like, yeah, come on. And he came and I wasn't here. Um, so he came, bit the bullet and came fucking again. And beautifully, you, you're wearing a bathrobe, right? Fucking love that, man. Like way to be comfy and shit. I love that. But he was holding up signs like we were doing, let's make a deal. <laughs> Hold up one of your signs. They can't, you bring it up here so everyone could see it, man. But I walked up to the theater today, and he was outside, and I thought it was you. Because <laughs> he's got, like, the ba baseball cap and the bathrobe. I was like, Kev's just hanging out in front of his theater. That's weird. I have been known to do that. Give it up for Josh, everybody. Okay, show us your signs. This one says, it may only be a chode, but I'll still swallow Kevin Smith's load. <laughs> Did you go, aw, like, that's sweet? For, a, or, for amazing oral dictation, call me. That's fucking hot. This guy loves the cock smoker. Very nice. There's a, there it is. Give it up for Josh. Well done, Captain. First time anyone's ever done that. Done that. Like, I've never been to any of my shows, let alone fucking Fat Man Beyond, or uh, where somebody, like, fucking let's make a deal with it, man. Like... The last few shows I've done, he said, we both are just me. Uh, he said, I've seen kind of sad, which, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> but because of that, you were like, let's cheer him the fuck up.
I've spent decades making my friends and family uh, and fans laugh. And, and is that what it was? I got to communicate it to the home audience. And he figured it was a time for fans or people that care about me to reciprocate. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. Yes. I have, uh, I have gone through a fucking thing recently and stuff, and I'll talk about it somewhere down the road, but that, that means the world, man. Um, he was talking about that at the Flash Gordon screening afterwards, and I gave him a big hug. I appreciate that. Thank you for making the trip from Austin. Oh, stop it. means the world. Um, okay, uh, hands, where else uh, people from far away? Oh, okay, you're like, no, I'm not that I got way. a question. Yes. Questions we'll get back to. Uh, distance, anybody else? Hand in the air. Who can yes. beat Alaska? You came from North Carolina? That's still a fucking distance. You well, cross state lines. Yeah. Yes. Greece? Shut up. The play? No. <laughs> the word? Wait, you didn't come from Greece just for the show. How long were you living in Greece? Three years. Three years in Greece. What were you doing there? Military. Military. Thank you for your service, man. Wow. Um, how do you compare Greece to Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey? Just as like fucking epic, right? Right on. We are. That's right. Tonight is the Greece of fucking New Jersey. Yes. This is Atlantic Highlands Parthenium. <laughs> yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Learning all sorts of shit tonight. Uh, hands, any place else uh, from uh, further away or far away? All the way in the back. What you got? Houston, Texas. Oh my God, all you right. rode in with Josh. Did you fly or drive, Josh? You flew. Did you guys fly or drive? And did you fly to do other things here or just to do this? To get engaged? Aww. Oh, shit. You came here for that? Yeah. <laughs> New Jersey is the state of love. Why, why uh, didn't you get engaged in Houston? Was it, what, what drew you to the East Coast? He'd never been to the East Coast before, just communicating it back. Go ahead. They went to Shenandoah National Park. Where is that? In Virginia. Which is for lovers. Yeah. Oh, oh, fucking. Now we're seeing the connection. So while you were there, somebody popped the question. Yeah. So was it, was it the male popping the question to the female? I don't want to assume that it, it was. The, this, the, not unfortunately. This, you know. And it went well. You both seem like you're chipper. That's a long way to go for a no. <laughs> Can I think um, about it? What, uh, were you surprised? Been together 10 years. Yeah, oh God, no, I'm sure they want to get married in front of relatives and shit like that. Um, 10 years, what fucking took you so long? No, uh, well done, man. Fucking, and, do it when all, and did you do it in Shenandoah? Fucking A, look at that, man. That's awesome. Give it up for him. What a great story. Bam. What's your what's your name for the home audience? Oh, Bampin, hold one second. What's your name for the home audience? <laughs> like we don't want to fucking say. Gordon and Elaine. Well done, Gordon and Elaine. Marriage is a well, it's an institution. 
Uh, what do you got, Banff man? Uh, somebody in chat earlier was from Gibraltar. Like the, the Rock of oh. Gibraltar. Yeah. It's company? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that second. was kind of cool. I thought only like penguins live there or something, like birds. I didn't know people <laughs> did. but uh, Right on. But technically not here. So Yeah. But well, they're all. virtually here. They're, they're as much there as I am. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Welcome person from Gibraltar. I'll, uh, I want to give a shout out also to somebody else who's there who, when we started doing this virtually during the pandemic, was uh, popped up in our chat room. And when, gosh, 20 years ago this summer, I he had quit Midtown Comics and I took his job. It was my first job out of college. And that's Sixto. City in New York. Yeah, and Sixto, he and I reconnected. Tonight's the first time I've seen him because I see the back of his head in your camera shot right there. So he's been we we've become friends again 20 years later through through the show on chat every week. So What's your name? Sixto. And what and where did you come from again originally? Dominican. And so wait, you took JC's job or vice versa? So you had the job and then JC took it over and you passed like ships in the night and then remet online. Yeah. Like 20 years later. How crazy. Do you know what happens next? You have to go to Shenandoah together. One <laughs> <laughs> of you got to pop the question. Oh, that's adorable, man. <laughs> he said, thanks JC. Uh, okay, bye. Uh, That's all I got. Hi. <laughs> bye. Bamf indeed. Uh, should we question? Yes, we'll get to uh, this question number three. Yes. And you know, we'll do five instead of the normal three. Yeah, we'll keep going. All right, you pick. That lady who likes Willow. What's your name? Laura, Laura. give it up for Laura. Laura's next. Laura, what can we do you for? Ooh. First of all, happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, so, mine's a two-parter question. Um, firstly, as I was listening to Mark Burns' lovely little voice, uh, I realized that I would be so perfectly happy if you would narrate the film of my life. So my first part of my question is, who would you want to narrate the film of your life? And then the second part is, what fiction author would you want to write the story? Ooh, give it up for it. Who would I want to narrate? Can it be anybody, living or dead? <clears throat> She's my father because he'd be alive again. Uh, no, the narrator of my life, I would have loved to have been Stan Lee. That would be amazing. Hey, spider friends, this is Stan Lee. Here's what Kevin did today. Masturbated furiously. Look at him go. He's so productive. Excelsior. Um, and what creator would I like to write my life? Um, oh, hands down, Neil Gaiman. He's so fucking inventive and so creative. Yeah. And... He would take a boring life and make it fucking interesting. Those are my choices. You? Um, I think 
it, I mean, it's it's sad because it won't happen anymore. I mean, he's not that he's passed away, but he seems to have rescinded and, and, and pulled back from, from performance in public life. Uh, but James Earl Jones, mm. um, I feel like would be just the fucking, yeah. Everything would be so dire. Mark masturbated. All too easy. <laughs> Excellent choice. He took Commanding, a dump. Amazing All too easy. <laughs> um, as who, who writes it? Um, I, my favorite part of James Earl Jones narrating your life would be his moment in Star Wars where Han Solo shows up and he goes, what? <laughs> so whenever you did something weird, he'd be like, what? <laughs> like the very excited James Earl Jones. Yes. My favorite Darth Vader moment of all time. And that even includes fucking Rogue One, where he, he fucking goes total fucking Just Sith surprised. And shit. He never did it again. Like, Darth Vader is always fucking chill and shit, but that one moment is, what? <laughs> Sounds like my mother. Yes. I find your lack of Big Macs disturbing. <laughs> uh, and I think, I, I know it's, it's a little easy for me, but I feel like Aaron Sorkin would be the guy I would want to hire for that. Oh, my God. You'd be so fucking well-written. Yeah, right? I get all these fucking cool-ass speeches, and we'd be yes. walking up and down places and shit. <laughs> Lots of walking and talking with James Earl Jones as the voice of God behind me. <laughs> he seemed to have forgotten something in his bedroom. He walks back. And it's forth. Fucking Sorkin does more walking than those fucking Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> uh, what about you, Banff man? You got any ideas? Banff. Um, just because I think it'd be silly, like Matthew McConaughey to do both. No shit. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Both. <laughs> wow. Can he write? Yeah, I mean, or is you just want your life to be written on a bongo beat? Yeah. We'll find out. I mean, he might <laughs> run to be governor of Texas. I hope so. I mean, you think he's going to be governor of Texas? He keeps saying no, but I think he'll say yes eventually. I feel like if he's going to write your life story, you have to have way more hacky sacks in your life <laughs> <laughs> in order for that to be a thing he's interested in. Um, all right, that was question three, man. Now we're heading out to question the... Uh, normally, we never go this yeah, fucking this the far. bonus round. Yeah, we're going farther than we've ever gone on this episode. Is that a little girl over there with a question? Oh, boy. Come on. Come on up. What's your name? Oh, my God, you are a little girl. Like, And I, we've been cursing our fool heads off all night. <laughs> Give it up for Aaron, everybody. Um, my dad has been watching you for a long time, and he told me that um, you know the Avengers, so I just wanted to ask, how do you know them? <laughs> Give it up for Aaron, everybody. Uh, do I know the Avengers? I, here, I'll give you all my, I mean, I know their names. Um, <laughs> I've, and I have met uh, some of them. Um, I met uh, Chris Evans. Uh, that's his name. Yeah. I always, you know. I'm, it's okay. I, There's two of them. I know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, met him when I was on an episode of The Tonight Show, the Jay Leno Tonight Show. And I was, he was the first guest. I was the second guest. And I forget what he was there promoting. It wasn't Captain America, but he was there. One, he was there. He was working on or about to work on Captain America 2. 
And seeing us sit next to each other, like on the fucking couch in the chair, we looked like the number 10 at that point. He was very thin and I was kind of round and shit. And I remember during the break, like there's a picture of me where I'm like all thumbs up and smiles and shit. And so during the break, I wanted to talk about Marvel and shit. And I was like, oh my God, what's it like working for Marvel? And he was like, it sucks. And he was really kind of down on it and shit, but he was like, well, I don't know, this next one might be better. And, you know, of course, the next one was way better. Um, Robert Downey Jr., I've only met once, and it was backstage at the San Diego Comic-Con. Um, me and Jason Muse were downstairs in the warehouse area uh, having smokes. So we were smoking cigarettes and stuff. I was a big cigarette smoker back in the days. So don't ever do that, Aaron. Um, it's my PSA for the evening. So we're down there having a cigarette and the elevator, uh, the freight elevator is how they bring everybody up to do the Hall H and, and then come down. And this was uh, them, I think, getting ready to promote uh, Iron Man 2. I think that's what they were there for. So the freight elevator comes down and Favs comes out and I know Favs and shit. So he nodded at me and I nodded at him. Uh, Gwyneth was on the, ele on the ele elevator as well. And I knew her for like a red hot minute years ago when she used to date Ben Affleck. She's a voice in the Clerks cartoon. She plays herself. She did not nod at me at all. And, um, and then Robert Downey Jr. was also on the elevator. And so when Favs gave me the nod and I nodded back, Robert Downey Jr. looked over and then smoked right over to us. And I don't mean smoke. Like he fucking rushed over. He didn't run, but he walked very briskly, shook my hand so vigorously. And he was like, it is excellent to meet you. I, I still hold that in my heart. Like one day when I'm dying as a, hopefully a very old man and shit, I'll be like, I met Iron Man. You know, I, <laughs> still fucking means the most to me. Um, have I, I interviewed Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, um, and it was for the movie that he did with um, Elizabeth Olsen, which was- Wind uh, River? Something, yeah, I think it was that. It was at Sundance. And she was uh, also an Avenger, so I can bring her up. Elizabeth Olsen was like so incredibly happy to meet me. She was like, oh my God, we used to watch, me and my brother used to watch, does she have a brother? I don't know. <laughs> I know she got those sisters and shit. You can't fucking avoid them, but wait, did he pass? Did you say he died? What? <laughs> Quick silver. <laughs> oh, that was fucking good, man. Bamf. She she has a brother named Trent. Thank you. So there was a brother. I'm remembering correctly. And she was like, me and my brother watched Mallrats all the time when we were kids. I'm a huge fan. She was so fucking enthusiastic and, and wonderful. And Renner could not be fucking bothered with me in the least. I was like, hey, Hawkeye. I was like, uh-huh. And he, kept, he talked to her pretty much the whole time. Um, have I ever met uh, Ruffalo? No. I was a huge fan of You Can Count Up. On Tom Holland, I I think I've met. Yeah, I did meet Tom Holland because I did a um, I think I don't know if it was the Emerald City Comic Con or something like that, but it was one of the Comic Cons where him and Anthony Mackie were guests, and so was Elizabeth Olsen and um, Paul Bettany as well. So I was the guy they chose to interview them on stage, and uh, t Tom was absolutely sweet, but I think he was way too young to know my shit at all, or or way too classy. Um, he was very nice, very, very nice. Um, let me see. Paul Bettany, I sat next to on an episode of The Talking Dead. 
And uh, I'll never forget this because, like, I, you, you know, there's Mark talks about like the fake laughter when you're interviewing like famous people or whatever. Um, on that episode, oh my God, on that episode, we were talking about um, an episode of The Walking Dead that had just played that went incredibly hard. It was just like relentless, like a thing happened and another thing happened and another thing happened. And I remember going, like, you know, they came to me and, and Hardwick was like, what'd you think of the episode? And I was like, man, watching that episode was like, how do I put this? Because it was on TV. I was like, you know how like when you're getting oral with somebody and dad will explain that. Right? And um, <laughs> I was like, and you're done, but they keep going and stuff. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, it was exactly like that. It's and, like when you're tickled a lot and you're done being tickled, but somebody keeps tickling yes, you. Yes, yes. That's that. There you go. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a better dad than I ever was. <laughs> um, he laughed so legitimately hardcore. It wasn't a fake Hollywood laugh. I think you can find the clip online and stuff. He was like, he thought that was hysterical. So much so that when I saw him again at that Comic-Con, he's like, you know what I still find funny? And he brought that shit up. <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, I've never, have I met Scarlett Johansson? No, I don't think so. Um, who? Bamf. Hemsworth, I fucking met. He was in Jay and Silent Bob reboot, man. Um, he had uh, done an interview someplace, a Vanity Fair or something, where he talked about the show. He talked about a fat man. I think the incarnation would, it might have been Fat Man on Batman at that point. I don't know if it was Fat Man Beyond yet. But he talked about how like uh, him and Taika Waititi like, changed shit up on Thor Ragnarok. He's like, we listened to like Kevin Smith on a podcast talking about like, why won't they do something different or something like that? I was like shitting on on Thor too, and uh, rather than be like fuck Kevin Smith, they were like yeah, let's fucking do something different. Let's do something more fun. So he gave me like partial credit or something like that. And when we were casting reboot, I was like, oh my god, somebody reach out to Hemsworth and see if he'll come do a thing. And he fucking said yeah. And he came and showed up, and it was we were in post on the movie. And the piece that we shot was him as a hologram. Um, and he was promoting Endgame. He was out in Los Angeles for the premiere of Endgame. And so he came to us on a day where he was like, he had just done the Ellen show. He did another show and he was doing the Endgame premiere in Los Angeles. Then he was getting on a plane with the rest of the Avengers and they were going, uh, I think, to London to do the premiere there. And he built an hour and a half block into his schedule to come shoot with us and like i'll never forget because liz destro is one of the producers on the movie and so she was like showing him into a room and uh where he was going to get changed to go do his things he was wearing something else and he wanted to wear something in the flick and she was like uh, she he, she was talking to he was like is this a room okay to change in and she was like oh absolutely and he fucking ripped his shirt off right there in front of her and liz is like a no-nonsense nuts and bolt producer but she was like, I got so hard. Um, <laughs> so while he was there, we, we shot with him. He was absolutely lovely. He was another guy that was like, I'm a huge fan going way back and, and uh, of the movies I made when I was younger and stuff. And then um, he was like, are you going to the Endgame premiere tonight? And I was like, no, man, I don't know any Avengers. And he goes, you do now. And he invited me to be his guest. And so I got to go to the premiere with Harley as a guest of Hemsworth. And we sat in his row with the other fucking Avengers and shit like that. And um, it was weird. Normally, when you go to like premieres, industry premieres, they're, they're very dry. There's not like a lot of enthusiasm and stuff. But Endgame being what it was, 
everyone was like going crazy in the audience, even though a lot of people worked on it. But I was like the loudest person. Like everything that happened, I was like, ah, and shit. And my kid was so embarrassed. But I remember at one point, like Hemsworth looks over at me and goes, uh, so I've, I've met him, and um, I guess, is that all the Avengers? Uh, my, my favorite part of that story oh, man. is that uh, if, you, if you know this podcast at all, then you know that Kevin, historically, is not a dude to be like, that movie sucked. <laughs> so this is the life of being the dude sitting next to Kevin, <laughs> like, you know, the unnamed black dude on the plane that goes down, and also... <laughs> So it's like, clearly, I'm the dude who hated Thor The Dark World, but we saw Kevin. He didn't like the movie, so we just had to change it up a little bit. I got the credit for your You negativity. got the credit for me shitting on their movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be, wow, this plane out of Anchorage, Alaska. Kevin Smith died also. A black dude? <laughs> who played a lot of video games. Yeah. Um, my, the other, my only t other tangential connection uh, to the Avengers uh, other than, of course, working with Stanley and stuff, um, who had a thing or two to do with those characters, um, is uh, it Groman's Chinese Theater out in Hollywood, uh, where you know there's the, in Hollywood they got the Walk of Fame where people got stars on the sidewalk with their names on it and shit, and that's a high honor I've never received yet. I'm still alive, so it may happen in my lifetime. But an even higher honor is uh, there's a small courtyard in front of Groman's Chinese Theater where stars have been putting their handprints and footprints like going back to the 40s and maybe even earlier than that. And um, uh, Jason Muse and I uh, were lucky enough to get chosen to put our hands and feet prints in the cement at Groman's Chinese Theater, which meant the world to me because when I was, I've known about this place since I was a kid. When I was a kid, we went to California because uh, my father was like, we got to go on a vacation. And the fat one likes movies. Let's fucking go there and stuff. So he took me, my brother and sister, and my mom uh, uh, to, uh, Los Angeles and to Hollywood. And one of the first places we went was to the Grumman's Chinese Theater Courtyard. And, uh, you know, my father was, he knew I loved movies and stuff. So he was like showing me the handprints and footprints going like, this is this person. He's like, this is Jimmy Durante. He put his nose into the cement. This is Marilyn Monroe for the older people. I was only interested in seeing the footprints of uh, just recently Darth Vader, R2-D2 and C-3PO had put their footprints into the cement and there's a picture online of me and my brother in the most 70s fucking outfits you've ever seen kneeling in front of those footprints and my father right before we left i'm sorry i've told this story to death so people have heard it before but you're young and you probably haven't um right before we left my father was just like he said a thing that a father says to a kid or an adult says to a kid like if you like baseball it's like maybe you'll be in the major leagues one day before we left uh, Groman's Chinese Theater that day. My father was, after we looked at all and cased every footprint and every handprint, my father was like, maybe you'll be here one day. And 40 years later, I got to do the same thing. And put, I took my father's ashes with me, he was dead. And uh, I took his urn and pushed it into the cement. So right next to my footprints and my handprints is my father's urn as well. There's a circle and people are like, what's that circle? I was like, that's my dead father. And they're like, he sure was small. Um, <laughs> But I tell you all of this to say this, me and Jay are right below the Avengers. Like all the Avengers did their handprints and footprints as well. So you can see the entire Avengers clan and like right below us, there's me and, and Jay. So I, I, yeah, I guess I have kind of interacted with, with all the Avengers. Your dad's right. I was sitting there going like his dad, this guy, this poor kid got lied to. <laughs> but you're right, I have met a lot, of, a lot of the Avengers. Excellent question, give it up for Aaron.
Uh, I've never met any Avengers. <laughs> I, I, I have like a couple of Avengers adjacent encounters. Like I, my favorite is I was at Comic-Con. I want to say it was like 2018, maybe, maybe 2017. And I was crossing, if you know anything about Comic-Con, there's 150,000 people who descend on like 12 square blocks of San Diego. So it is the most densely occupied um, 12 blocks in the country at that time. Yeah. And so I'm crossing the street to go from the Gaslamp District, which is the part of San Diego, across these like train tracks and this whole thing to get to the actual convention center. And it becomes this like sea of humanity all trying to get across these train tracks. And so I'm standing there with my friend. He's an actor. His name is Nyambi Nyambi. He's on The Good Fight. He was on Mike and Molly. Sweet guy. And we're just standing there walking across. And then there's this woman dressed as a pink Power Ranger having the best time I've ever seen somebody have at Comic-Con. Like she's just like dancing around and kind of spinning on poles and like do like interpretive dance as the pink Power Ranger. I was like, how come I can't have that kind of fun when I come to Comic-Con? <laughs> I'll like, never be that happy. What am I doing wrong? Like, this is my 15th time. I should be having a better time. But she was having the time of her life. And it was only like a couple days later when I got back to L.A. did I learn, did I discover. And I was like talking to her and she would like say, no, this is my first time here. I'm having so much fun. This is great. Like, I want to come in costume because I always heard about it but never did it. And that was Lupita Nyong'o who oh. was there for the black panther the big like we're making a black panther movie look at our first trailer and that's how she did the con as wow. the pink power ranger and i've never seen somebody so excited to be anywhere as she was excited to be in san diego and just getting to like frolic um and then i met benedict wong at a at a comic convention in the uk the one we did the 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 london show where we did fat man beyond we did fat we man beyond there we're fat man on batman at that point and uh, and he was just in the green room just chilling out and so i walk over and i was talking to somebody i don't remember and he sat down i was like hi i'm benny <laughs> like, no you're not you're wong <laughs> and so we just chit chatted for a couple of minutes and he just passed on but i, I and then got super starstruck when john cleese showed up Oh, shit. Like, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch was also there. I didn't get to meet him, but I got to watch him lose his marbles when John Cleese came in. And, and he was like, should I go talk to him? I don't know. Should I go talk to him? I'm not sure. Like, and he finally worked up the stones to go tell John Cleese how much he meant to him. And that was the other object lesson of everybody's a fan of something. Yeah. It doesn't matter at what point in the pecking order, at what level of the hierarchy you are, you grew up loving a thing. Everybody did. And sometimes your life will lead you to a place where you get to confront that for real and tell somebody what you what they meant to you and like never miss those opportunities because they'll only ever come by once if you're lucky. Pretty cool, Kev. Is, is, are you just complimenting me? Okay. Who told you to? Oh, nice job, buddy. <laughs> well done. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, one more uh, Avengers adjacent story. Inarguably, uh, in the leader of the Avengers, I would say, is Kevin, Kevin Foggy. God bless you. Uh, the guy over at Marvel Studios who's like the, the mastermind behind all the interconnected movies that we love so much. And um, years ago, uh, five years ago, I had a massive heart attack. You probably didn't hear about it. I never talk about it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it lived through it and shit. And one day, like maybe two weeks after I survived it, I was driving on uh, Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles. I was heading to the valley. And my phone rang, and I didn't recognize the number, but I'd answered it. And uh, I was like, hello. And they were like, hold for Kevin Feige. 
And I was like, oh my God, like Kevin Feige, like, of course. And so he got on the horn and he goes, Kevin, this is Kevin. And I was like, Kevin, this is Kevin. Like, you know, we did that for 20 minutes. And, um, and he was like, uh, I'd heard about your heart attack. And like, I just wanted to reach out and say, I'm so glad you're alive. Um, as a, as a fellow Kevin from New Jersey, cause he's also from New Jersey who dreamed of being involved in movies like you making clerks and, and getting into the movie business was hugely inspirational for me. So as he's saying this, I'm getting like all choked up, but then also I'm like, wait a second, like, because I survived a heart attack, Kevin Feige is going to offer me a Marvel movie right now. <laughs> And so there I am sitting there going, waiting for it. And I was like, well, thanks, Kev. That means the world, man. He goes, I just wanted to tell you that. Bye. And he hung up and shit. <laughs> um, okay. One That's, last question? Uh, yes. Time for our fifth pick. Oh, I get to pick. Of course. Oh, geez. Trying to see what I can see. What can I see? Oh, yeah. You, I see. Don't worry about you. Um, let's go all the way in the back on the aisle. Yeah, you. What's your name? Rennie? Give it up for Rennie, everybody. So with this being the end of the Ides of Mark, mm -hmm. I wanted to know what the best thing, the funniest thing, and the most inspirational takeaway that you've had from, from all this. Give it up. The best thing, the funniest thing, and the most inspirational thing. Um, I mean, for me, I, two of these movies I've never seen on the big screen before. And so I, I'd never seen Dune on the big screen, and I'd never seen Streets of Fire. Those were, those were home video discoveries for me. Um, Flash Gordon I had gotten to see, as I told the, the people who were here, it was, it was very um, seminal of a movie for me. And that it's the movie where I discovered that people make movies. Because up until that point, I just thought movies existed. I didn't know that they had to be conjured into reality by craftsmen and writers and directors and actors and stuff. I just thought that Prince Baron was Prince Baron. I didn't know that that was an actor playing him. Um, and so the, the best part of that for me was just kind of, A, seeing stuff that I'd never seen bigger than I'd ever seen them. Wait, did you tell the dad's story? I, I, I told him in front of Flash Tell it here, because it's so beautiful. Um, I might have said it before on the podcast. I definitely said it to the people who were here for Flash Gordon. But when I was nine, I saw Flash Gordon in the, in the movie theater because my dad took me as a Star Wars fan to everything that had spaceships or laser beams or whatever because the boy likes space. We'll take him to the space stuff. And, uh, and so I'm sitting next to him in Flash Gordon, which not a great movie for children. Um, there's all kinds of weird sexual dynamics and incest and yeah, it's all that stuff. But I'm sitting there with this scene where Flash, uh, if you're familiar with the movie at all, he's sticking his hand into a giant tree stump, which has some kind of scorpion creature the, at the center of it. And, and so you're, the, the tension of that scene is, is Flash Gordon about to die? And I, at nine years old, completely expected him to die because I didn't understand how movies worked yet. And so my dad leans over, sees me on the verge of tears and says, don't worry, they never kill the hero. And so I stopped worrying and Flash Gordon didn't die and you know, whatever, he marries Dale Arden, I suppose. But that was the first time that I had encountered the phrase, they never kill the hero. Who's the they? Who are the they you're talking about? 
and that sort of led me to start paying attention to movie credits. That led me to start paying attention to like reading magazines like Starlog and Cinefantastique and Fangoria and discovering that it was a job that people had to make these movies. And that's when I discovered that maybe that's a job that I could have at some point. So to watch Flash Gordon and to be reminded of my dad, who isn't dead, he's just not here. Um, he's in Hempstead. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but to be reminded of that moment. It was such a sweet story when I thought your dad was dead. <laughs> no, I'm going to see him tomorrow for dinner. Um, but <laughs> You're so lucky. <laughs> Uh -huh. um, yeah, come on, Kev. Uh, but no, it's and so to just to, to live in that moment again when the world opened up to me and the future became a path that I could follow is what is why Flash Gordon means as much as it does to me. Um, so getting to see that was, I think, the best thing. The funniest thing um, was most of Dune is hilarious uh, because it's it's just the bonkerest of bonker movies, but. Um, yeah, every, every, I, I had never noticed before how many things are happening in the background of that movie that are insane that I just never saw. So there's a sequence early on where a guild navigator, I don't know what you guys know about Dune, you shouldn't know that much about Dune. It's not that great a movie. I still love it. But anyway, this giant creature uh, whose face, uh, his head is shaped like a, like balls and his mouth is like a vagina and he smokes a lot of spice weed. Aaron, ask dad what those things are. I was very careful to use the appropriate technology, I mean, terminology. Um, and so, and he's like in this giant, like aquarium thing and he gets ushered out and it's this huge scene. And there's this one dude in the corner who's just vacuuming up. Like he's just working the floor. He's like, you know, the guy who's working the Zamboni, I guess in the middle of stuff. And he's just like doing this gig. And that, I lost my poop at that dude who like David Lynch was like, you, vacuum. Everybody else, just watch. <laughs> okay, director. Um, and then what was the last one, the most moving thing? Most inspirational. It's that all of these movies exist. None of them are great, but everybody who made them, made them committed to having them be movies that people could see. And they've all got some semblance of quality in them. Like Streets of Fire is not a wall-to-wall -wall great movie, but the music is great. You know, some of the performances are great. Bill Paxton is committed to being that kind of a kind of greaser douchebag. Um, but every movie has people who care about making that movie. And every, every one of these craftsmen got up every day at six o'clock in the morning to drive to a set where some dude was polishing the sets of Flash Gordon to be as shiny as humanly possible when the dumbest things possible happen on those sets. Um, and as a person who wants to make movies and wants to make TV, that level of dedication to the ridiculous is always inspirational to me. Um, look, uh, over the course of three days we've done this, like, uh, it was lovely to see people come from far away, from close and stuff. To, to see anybody show up to come watch Dune with us was pretty cool and stuff. So, uh, that, that was meaningful. But what are the three categories again? It's funniest. Best. Funny, best moment, funniest moment. Inspirational. And most inspirational. Um, hands down, I believe all three happened tonight when I finally learned how to pronounce Archie Pelego. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, have you had a good time this evening?
I'm going to remind you, uh, if you're here in the room or if you're home watching, uh, tomorrow at Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash, Mark is going to be signing. I'll be there as well. Come down to the stash, get your stuff signed, say hello in person to Mr. Mark Bernardin. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, don't forget, there's stuff coming up here at Modcastle Cinemas if you want to come out for it and stuff. Uh, the Impractical Jokers movie, a double feature on 420. Uh, looks like 422, we're doing a Chasing Amy thing. Uh, tickets always available at smodcastlecinemas.com. Um, and what other housekeeping do I have? Um, it means the world that this many people came out on a Friday night, particularly the Friday night when most people in the world are like, let's get drunk uh, on St. Patrick's Day. The fact that you all came out to do the show uh, really uh, turned my frown upside down. I was having kind of a shitty day. And boy, you cats really spun it for me. So thank you for flipping the script. Uh, and being here. It means the absolute world. Uh, I want to thank everyone that made this possible. Give it up for Smodcastle Keeper Ernie O'Donnell. Uh, our man up in the booth, give it up for Christian. Our man on the other side of the country, give it up for Banff Man, JC. Uh, but there is no fat man beyond uh, without the man that sits uh, to my left. And there's certainly no Ides of Mark without him. Give it up for the great Mark Bernard and everybody. And that, kids, is Fat Man Beyond for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Mark Bernardin. Tune in next time. Same fat time. Same fat channel. Smodcast.com or YouTube.com slash Kevin Smith. Jeff's kiss, everybody. Good night. This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip. Only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>